0: Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At goToDobs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs.
1: For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now.
2: Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today.
1: This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: You know, Miles is going to, he's not going to throw his side tomorrow. No he played catch today, a little more aggressive. And he, and you know, he's going to get some imaging done. So he's not overly concerned about the imaging. He's not, we're not. You never know. Do you look? He's just not progressing and getting that sword inside of his order as quickly as here we would like. And, you know, we haven't pushed him to this point. We're not going to push any of our guys. You know, Miles, Miles is frustrated. We're frustrated for him.
2: It's time for the Concerno meter update time. Uh, his, uh, his boys. It was a scale of one to 10 started out at a four. I raised that to about a six. I was at an eight earlier this week. I'm at a 10. (laughs) It's officially time to be worried about miles. Michaelis when the manager of your team, the same day that the general manager came on with me and Danny Mac says like what, four hours later. Hey, yeah, we're, that that scheduled bullpen, it's not going to happen, and it's time for tests. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm officially a little bit worried about what's going on with Miles Michaelis right now. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kyle. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Where is your updated concern-o-meter on Miles Michaelis, Ferrario?
4: You know, BK, as my uh, as my role model as a child once said, ruh row raggy." <laughs> <laughs> That's where my concernometer meter is right now. Scooby-Doo, through the roof, because this is a major blow to the Cardinals. And Tanner, I don't want to hear you start bragging about, oh I said this from the <laughs> beginning that the pitching staff isn't going to be good. I did, though. Don't do it. Don't do it.
2: Anytime anything goes wrong with the Cardinals, Ryder was about something because he's been the doom and gloom clouds
5: basically since day one. I I think doom and gloom's a little uh, overstretching there. No, No, I think it's pretty accurate. I think think it was the same concern the whole fan base had. No,
4: you are the cumulonimbus cloud that just hangs over the Cardinals, Tanner. People
5: that say, hey, I'm just a
2: realist, whenever anybody
4: tells them that they're negative, Yeah, I, I think you just confirmed what we've been saying all along. <laughs> it's like when your parents tell you, you know, doubtful that it's going to happen. Just assume that it's going to be a no. They just don't want to tell you no right now. Yeah, it's like but Randy look. when he's discussing me being able to hold up balloons in the air. BK, well, that's no. a definitive no. Yeah, that's a <laughs> definitive no. There's no question on that one. But look, this is a major blow because you're taking a guy who could potentially throw 30 games for you a guy who could potentially throw 150 plus innings for you he was supposed to be if people like to compare it to this the Lance Limb, the bulldog for your rotation the dude who can go out there and grind out seven innings for you or maybe eight innings to give your bullpen the day off well now you potentially don't have him for the start of the season or potentially the rest of the season because I know we're not going to that length yet But I'm with you, BK. I'm putting this at a number 10 because it's a shoulder. This isn't a finger. This isn't a leg. This this isn't a back. This is a shoulder. And that is the most concerning, I think, for me when it comes to a pitcher.
2: It's definitely concerning. Miles Michaelis was quoted in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch earlier today talking about his level of frustration. He said, I'm pretty frustrated because I worked really hard rehabbing my elbow and making sure that I was healthy and able to contribute from the get-go this year. I felt really good in my live BP, and the soreness in the front of my shoulder has just lingered. I want to make sure there's nothing structural as I continue going In this process of recovery, end quote. Again, that was according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Derek Gould had that story there. I think the the frustrating part to all of this is that it's not the elbow. And the reason why I say that is because, like, when he had that surgery on his forearm, we all knew, okay, the next thing that might go is the elbow. It's a possibility, right? The reason they did the forearm thing was to prevent the elbow from happening. But... I, it's part of Jeff Passan's book called The Arm. It's something that you hear from BT all the time. It's something that any pitcher would tell you. It's about the kinetic chain, right? All of it is connected. And when you have something that goes on with your forearm, sometimes you overcompensate. It might be totally subconsciously, right? You're not doing it on purpose, but instead of um, going at the exact same motion, Maybe you move it a quarter of an inch to your right or whatever. There's something that's a little off on your motion because you're overcompensating. And now instead of the elbow, it goes to the shoulder. I have this in my runs, and I'm not comparing myself to um... you got the runs? (laughs) No, 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 no. Sometimes Uh, I'm not (laughs) comparing myself to Miles Michaelis, but there are times when like you'll have a little bit of a knee issue, right? And you overcompensate whenever you're running, and now it becomes a foot issue, and then it becomes a hip issue. It's the same thing that Miles Michaelis is going through right now. And I hope that he's he doesn't have anything structural in there and it ends up being fine, but this is a huge concern for me at this point. I don't know how you could not be, because this is a guy that we're doing our 20 most important cardinals in 2021. We're going up to number eight today. I could tell you this, it's not Miles Michaelis. I could tell you this also. Good. We haven't got to Miles Michaelis yet, so he's in the top seven at (laughs) some point. This guy is really important to what they were trying to do this year. He was supposed to be the one-for-one replacement for Dakota Hudson, basically. And now they don't have him right now. And I don't know that they're going to have him this year because shoulder issues don't just go away randomly. This is a huge concern for me. And if you're looking at guys that need to step up now, I know we're going to get into the number five starter. It's Carlos Martinez, the number four starter for me, because he's the guy that I look at around that rotation. He's the one with the widest range of outcomes. It may go great. And he looks like a one at one B to Jack Flaherty, or it could go really poorly and completely submarine your rotation earlier in the season. And he ends up in the bullpen by week three. Both of those are legitimate possibilities. And if you get the latter, who oh boy, Now you've got three starters that you trust. And by the way, one of them's 39.
4: Well, maybe we can let Tanner TKO another pitcher for us if he likes to, because we got the BKO, we got the TKO, and see what (laughs) else kind of rolls through with this one, boys. Um, Look, Carlos Martinez does become very important for you. Uh, Right now, it's kind of the similar thing you're dealing with with the Blues and all the injuries. People are having to play higher than their role is supposed to be. Adam Wayne right now. Yeah, Adam Wainwright now becomes the number four starter in your rotation. KK now becomes your number two starter. Carlos Martinez, who was your five starter or four starter, wherever you want to put him, now he's your number three starter. And now you have a glaring hole. Right now, my biggest concern is innings because I don't know if I have a lot of guys who can give me a lot of innings because Carlos is an injury risk. Adam Wainwright's age is always an injury risk. KK, it's still kind of unknown right now, and Jack Flaherty, we're not sure if there's going to be limitations with. So you don't have a guy other than Adam Wainwright that you can say, hey, just go out there and pitch for us. Now, I know you're deep in the bullpen, and in the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780, can we please stop judging the pitching staff until we see what they do? So many young guys have the ability to make a major impact. They do. They do but they don't have the ability to make the impact that Miles Michaelis was going to in terms of innings. Alex Reyes has already been told he's only going to throw about 100 this season. What do you think that means for Ponce and John Gantt? They're going to be unloaded for you, but we don't know how that effect is going to look as a rotation guy rather than just being a bullpen guy. So let's get into this. Now there is a decision to make
2: because the Cardinals have four starters that I think are basically established. Now you've got your top three that we always knew Flaherty, KK and Bueno. Those guys are going to be in for sure. I think Martinez has gone from competing for that fifth spot to now guaranteed to be in the fourth slot. And we'll oh, see yeah. if that is the case a month from now, but for, for the here and now he's in your rotation for sure on opening day. The question is the fifth spot. And it comes down to John Gant versus Daniel Ponce de Leon. We had Ponce on the show yesterday, and we asked him, hey, what do you want your role to be in this upcoming year?
3: You know, I would love to start. Don't get me wrong here, but we have a really good team. And not only that, but we got really good arms. And, um, you know, I'm going to pitch as good as I can, and it's going to be up to the coach to decide who goes where. But just know that I'll be ready to pitch in any position that they give me because we're going to win this year.
2: I think that he's my guy. Like if we're doing the choose your fighter thing for the video game and you got to go with either Daniel Ponce de Leon or John Gant, I'm going with Daniel Ponce de Leon.
1: Choose your fighter.
2: <laughs> he has 20 starts in his career. Now here's the concerning part. Those 20 starts have gone a combined 86 in. He has a four, one ERA hundred strikeouts to 45 walks. He gets into some long counts. He strikes guys out. He doesn't put the ball in play a ton, which is good. It's you, you prefer that. The problem is the efficiency when you're striking a bunch of dudes out. He doesn't have very many pitches to be able to play with in his arsenal. But I think he has the highest upside. John Gant, I think his best role for this team is as a multi-inning reliever. I think that's how you get the best out of him. I think uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon, for me,
4: that would be the guy that I would go with. Who are you choosing as your fighter?
2: Alex Ferrario.
4: Ponce de Leon is my fighter, and I will even throw in the finish him option for Mortal Kombat since we're making those comparisons here. Ponce is the one that makes sense. I just don't like John Gant in the rotation right now. He's good at baseball, but I just don't like that option right now for my rotation. Let me throw this at you guys, though, and call me an idiot if you'd like to because I know Tanner's probably thinking it. What about you go out there and you sign a a veteran pitcher to a Cole Hamels? Don't give me that look, BK. I get it. 37 years old. But if you go back, now last season was an anomaly. We can all agree with that one. But the year prior, 2019, he pitched 141 innings with the Cubs, and he had a 3.81 ERA. It's not great, but you know what he is? He's a guy who can consistently give you 100-plus innings. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that should take the role away from Ponce de Leon. But what I am saying is you probably need to give yourself a little bit more internal competition in training camp among these starters. Matt, it's leave a little it to- late
2: for that, though, isn't it?
4: I mean, you still got a couple of weeks for this, you know? And, and I mean, what's the difference of going out and getting this guy than going out and signing Jake Odorizzi as we were clamoring for? Age would be the only difference. But if you're bringing in a guy, hold on, hold on. Let's not just brush by that. Like 10 years, 10 10 years is the difference. (laughs) Okay. 10 years. But everyone says that as you get older, you mature. So maybe he's like a fine line. Maybe he can go out there and he can be a mature 37 year old, right? That's what we want. The only thing I'm, and again, Ponce is the one that makes the most sense. You don't, Libertor is not an option for you at the beginning of the season. Johan Oviedo is there, but I don't think you're comfortable with that. So for me, I'd like to go out there and get somebody who's pretty cheap, who can give me innings if I need him to. And when Miles comes back, if he comes back, then you just
5: have a deeper rotation available. See, I'm not sure about Hamels. Just because he's been hurt two of the last three seasons. I look at Porcello if you're going to go out and get a free agent. And I know you look at his numbers. I feel you there, too. But (laughs) I I think if you were to go get a guy and wanted innings, I think he's the guy. Because looking at his numbers... Two years ago, he got 174 innings, but three yeah. years prior to that, he was what over was, 190. What was the ERA with those You not You, know, you don't have to. you innings. don't have to talk was, about the ERA. It was, it was, it was Charles only Barkley five, five. Says, It was only five. It was five. terrible.
4: It was terrible, T-Bone. Yeah. It terrible. was only...
5: Look, I'm not saying sign him because I would pick Pons too, but uh, to me, if you're going to look externally, I think he would be the guy because Your he could cover innings. stink,
2: guys. They do. These
4: options stink.
2: Nobody's saying Jeff now, Samarja.
5: Now who's being
2: negative? Jeff Samarja? I mean, the, the guys that you're talking about have no upside zero zilch nada zero upside zero fun
5: sir with that kind of attitude
2: (laughs) the guy that i'm talking about (laughs) in ponce might be good but he
4: can't get out of the third inning for you
2: but he might be able to (laughs) i'd like to see it i want to see him get a shot i think these guys that you're talking about a cole hamels uh rick porcello they're gonna be available into the regular season and so if ponce fails If John Gant fails, whoever they decide to give that job to, I'm more than happy to go out there and look at the open market and find a guy that can help you. You assign him to the alternate camp for a couple of weeks, and then they get ramped up and you're able to bring them in as a starter. I'm fine with that. But for the here and now, I would rather see the internal options than go out and sign one of these guys that at best is going to give you like 160 innings with a 5-0 ERA. I don't think that's something that changes much for the Cardinals this year. I think that actually makes them potentially worse than going with some of these guys that they have as internal options.
5: I would agree with that. From the 314, how about bring John Lackey out of retirement?
2: I'm in. Let's see what he's got.
5: He's probably still got something. What's Mark Burley
2: up to? He's got to be out there. I mean, all he does is throw complete game shutouts. Let's see what he's up to today. That's true. Although you did call his team a bunch of losers before. so well, Wow. Fine. With Alex Ferrario <laughs> and Tanner and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll get more into this throughout the day today. Eno Saris is going to join us coming up at 12 o'clock. It's 1119. Your time check brought to you by clerks and jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, well, the reason we're talking about Daniel Ponce de Leon and John Gant as your starting options for that fifth spot is because there's one guy that has officially been ruled out of that fifth spot. I'll tell you who it is and what the plans are for him this year. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
6: Alex just hasn't had a lot of volume. I think really we're going to target a certain amount of innings for him over the course of this season. And how we achieve that is, is really could look like a lot of different ways. But ultimately... I think we just want to make sure we protect him and position him so, so a year from now, he will be in a position to compete for a starting job. You know, imagining him as a starter isn't too hard, but, you know, it's just how much could you really get out of him if you, if you put your foot on the gas
3: from day one.
2: That was John Mosaylock yesterday confirming what we have all been suspecting all along. Alex Reyes not going to be in the rotation, at least to start the year this year. And at with Alex Ferrario on Brandon Kylie, that's Tanner Hendrickson. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is not a surprise. I mean, we we knew this was likely going to be the way that things went. Alex Reyes threw 19 and a half innings, 19.2 innings last year. Basically got a right under 20. The year prior, he was right at around 40 innings. The year before that, he was right at 27 innings. That's his entire pitch history since the 2016 calendar year. Not even 100 innings. I mean, in total, between those four years, basically, he's right around 100 innings. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I get why the Cardinals are being super conservative with Alex Reyes, one of the best pitchers on the roster going into this upcoming season. I guess the question is, so the, the number has now been thrown out there. John Mosay luck said yesterday, we're looking at around hundred innings and it doesn't sound like that's hard and hard and fast. And they're going to have like a limit at 100, but that's kind of what they're projecting for him this season. What's the best way to go about that is the question, because you could kind of see a scenario where maybe he starts five games this year for him and he gives them 20 innings in those five games. Maybe he saves five or 10 games for him. That's five or 10 innings there. So now you're up to about 30, ish innings on the season between those two situations. So now you've got 70 more innings to play with and some kind of a relief multi-inning capacity. Are you telling me he's going to appear in like 50 games this year? That's one out of every three games. It's a lot of appearances over the course of the season for a guy that I'm worried about his arm breaking down. So I do think they're playing this correct. I want to be very clear here. I also wonder as we kind of look more at the actualized reality of what this is going to be for him, what is it going to look like? How are they going to utilize him? What's the schedule look like for him? Is he comfortable with it? And that that's where I am curious about how's Mike Schilt going to utilize Alex Reyes out of the pin going into this season.
4: Yeah. In the scheduling part, you know, first off, uh, you got to say that the faith in, in Mike Maddox and Mike Schilt being in charge of that, I have full confidence in those two being able to manage that because they've done it a lot in the past. They know what they're doing, so that's the smart part. The the way that you use it, it's going to be interesting because part of me wonders if the Cardinals' hands are being forced now to change Alex Reyes into a starting pitcher. Now, I agree with John Mosaylock. You can't, from the get-go, from the beginning of April – say, Alex, you're a starter, you're going out there, and you're going to start every fifth day for us, and you're not going to worry about innings. You can't do that with him because you don't know what this arm looks like because of the lack of innings pitched. But what I do think is maybe it's the slow play out of the gate. Maybe it's the the, the bullpen guy from the beginning of the season of, you know, if uh, one of our starters gets into a jam and we need you to come out of I me. Mean, look at yesterday. He comes in with, what, the bases loaded and gets the strikeouts and doesn't allow a run? That might be his role in the first couple of months. Then when they start to learn more about Carlos and learn more about Miles Michaelis and learn more about these younger pitchers, they can say, "Okay, we've managed the innings of Alex early on. Now let's start to kind of unleash him and see what he does as a starting pitcher for us. Maybe that's the way to do it. I'm not really sure, guys.
2: I think that's the way that I would go about it. And hearing Mike Schilt talk about this yesterday after the game, I think that's kind of the way he is leaning towards it. Here's what he had to say.
3: You know, you think about a starter. If he's going to start, that would mean, you know, two days prior, no pitch. Um, Pitch, four to five innings, two to three days off. So now you've effectively taken Alex out of being able to pitch for six days. But I I can't rule it out for sure. But, you know, right now he's in the bullpen. I hope to build him up out of the bullpen over the course of, um, you know, what we hope to be a really long season.
2: I really wonder if as you get past the all-star break, I think that's when you start to reevaluate things. So you're starting to get into mid-July and you're looking at Reyes and maybe at that point he's at 30, 40 innings, right? I wonder if then you start considering, okay, for this second half of the season, Rays looks great. He, he's comfortable. He, his arm feels fantastic. Let's start building them back up a little bit. Maybe that fifth rotation spark go, spot goes to him at that point, and maybe you're piggybacking him. He's going three innings, and it's not your traditional fifth starter, but you're getting the best out of him. And those three innings, by the way, are lower leverage because he's the guy that's starting them. He's not coming on with two on, no outs, bottom of the seventh. Got to have it right here and now because if you, if you don't get these guys out, we're going to potentially lose the game. Those are really high leverage innings that put a lot more stress on your arm. I think that by the end of the year, they're going to give consideration to starting Alex Reyes. But for the here and now, it's about how do we ration these innings, make sure that we get the most out of him, to help our big league club while also making sure that our options are available at the end of the year. I think that's the way they're looking at it right now.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, you have to look at it that way because I mean, let's look at it right now. I mean, Ponce de Leon is probably going to be your fifth starter, but what if things don't work out at that role? Well, you learned that at the beginning of the season. What if John Gant gets that shot and it doesn't work? Okay, well, we've learned our lesson. You go through the list of the guys who could be there. I know a lot of people said Jake Woodford, Johan Oviedo. Okay, that's great. But at some point, you're going to hit a wall and say, okay, these guys aren't starters for us right now. And then there's Alex Reyes, who if he's dealing you go to that option. So I think this is the way to go about it at the beginning of the season. But by June, July, once you hit that trade deadline time, that's where the Cardinals hit the evaluation period of saying, okay, is Reyes a starter or is he our bullpen guy for the rest of the season and we go out and find ourselves another starting pitcher? That's where I think it's going to come down to the fork in the road for the Cardinals.
5: Yeah, I I see that as what they're going to do, wait until about July, August, figure out (laughs) if he is a starter. I wonder if he piggybacks right off the bat this season, is right behind Ponce. So let's say Ponce does get that fifth starter's job now with Michaelis out. Ponce goes four innings, and then he's hit that wall where he's got the high pitch count because he got a lot of strikeouts. I wonder if you throw Reyes behind him two innings, maybe three, and then you say, okay, I know Schilt just said, I don't want him to rest two days like he's a starter. But he's still there in the bullpen. Maybe he could come in and get you out of a high-leverage situation. Maybe the six, runners at the corners, one out. I need one of my best arms. I'll throw him in there. But otherwise, I want him piggybacking, getting three innings in. I don't want to see Reyes just throw one inning, high leverage, and then come back next, two days later, one inning, high re- leverage, or an inning and a third, high leverage, because he's not really getting built up then. If right. if we're if they're going to build him up, you're going to have to see him go two innings one day, two innings, maybe another, and then at some point we're going to see him start going three, and then at some point four, and then by the time we get to July, you have confidence in saying, hey, he can go out there, be a starter, five innings, and because he's only thrown three over the last three weeks in his appearances, three innings per uh, appearance, he's slowly building up to 100, and we're confident now he could go five innings and still get to about the 100-inning pitch mark.
2: So the second half of the year after the All-Star break, just did some of this quick math in my head, right? So you got about 70 games. It's about 85 days. So that would equate to, if you don't skip any starts, roughly 15 to 17 starts in the second half of the year. I bet you it's closer to August when they start leaning towards this decision. I I think that's when this becomes a possibility for the Cardinals. Down the stretch, if you could get him 10 starts over that amount of time, maybe even eight. You you skip him a couple of times, spot starts here and there. That's when it starts to become a possibility because then you're talking about 30, 40 innings down the stretch, especially if you're, if you're wanting to use him in the postseason as well, probably 30 innings as a starter down the stretch. I think that's when things get really interesting and really it's about, and this is why I, I both think that the miles Michaelis injury is a really big deal and also don't want to overstate what it is. I think it's an issue for the first few months. I think down the stretch, they've got a lot of answers though because right now you are kind of limited it's john gantt it's jake woodford and it's daniel ponce de leon those are kind of your three internal options as you get closer to july august i think alex reyes starts to work his way into that equation if he's healthy i think you start to see matthew Liebertor working his way towards the big leagues we heard john mosellock say he wouldn't be surprised if he's in the bigs by the end of the season Mm -hmm. zach thompson could work his way towards the big leagues maybe at that point Um, you've got Oviedo who's worked on his command. He's been great at AAA and now he works his way into the mix. We've talked so much about the depth for the Cardinals rotation and their pitching staff as a whole. The depth is very young and that's why later on in the season, I will feel much better about it than I do in the here and now. So when we talked about a lot of those old guys that you guys were giving, the reason I'm not totally in on them is because I think you have so many options to potentially fill that fifth spot. That I wouldn't want to sign a guy just to throw him in there when I wanna first see what these other players can do for me.
5: I'm curious, yeah. you guys. You mentioned Libertor. I don't I, I do believe he's gonna be up with the big league club, but I don't know if he's gonna start when he gets called up. I just thinking back in the past Possibly, with the Cardinals, yeah. when they do call up these young pitchers as some of their prospect guys, I think Lance Lynn was one of these guys. They put him in the bullpen to kind of get that big league experience, and then maybe the next year you're ready to throw him in as a starter. That's why I feel like there's depth there, but I don't know if they're going to utilize the depth, if that makes sense.
4: Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, T-Bone. And, I mean, on the flip side of that, you know, a young Michael Waka gets that shot as soon as he gets called up, and he is the starter. So you can go both ways with this, but a Matthew Libator, who is still really young, who who kind of is – is leapfrogged through the minor league system. I don't know if when he gets that call up on the expanded roster or before that, they say, okay, buddy, guess what? 22 years old, now you get to start for the Cardinals. I don't see that happening. I see it being a bullpen guy, kind of like what Reyes is going to be, of a, a piggyback option coming in, giving the Cardinals two to three innings. I just don't see them thrusting him into a position and saying, guess what, you're the savior now for the team. Because, again, it's the long play with a guy who you hope can be another ace for your rotation in years to come i think it's more likely thompson gets that chance than liberator this year agreed I-, I think you could see next year going into the
2: season liberator starts to work his way into the mix of the competition i think for the here and now for this season late in the year I think Zach Thompson is much more likely to be a starter for the Cardinals on the big league club than Matthew Liebertor. That's less about the talent, more about their readiness to be a a big league pitcher right now. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2021 with number eight, a guy that Alex ferrario has never given up on I'll tell you who it is coming up next on 101 espn this is the bk and ferrario podcast now here's bk and
1: ferrario and now the 20 most important cardinals for the 2021 season yeah there's
2: a 40-man roster care but we only about
1: 20 it's bk and ferrario number eight tyler o'neill and O'Neill hits one out to center. Marte back at the wall. Goodbye. Two-run homer,
7: Tyler O'Neal.
2: Coming in at number eight on our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season, it is Tyler O'Neal. This may seem a little high for a guy that's not even guaranteed to be a starter by the end of the season, but I think that's why he's so important He provides something that the Cardinals are desperately missing. There's a reason why the Cardinals are giving Tyler O'Neill so many opportunities to win this starting job, and it's because they believe in the power. They think Tyler O'Neal can be a 30-plus home run player. They think he can be the guy that extends their lineup the way that Jock Peterson did for the Dodgers. That's the kind of player that they project him to be. Now, as an update on where we are on our list so far, As we continue counting down the 20 most important Cardinals at number 20, it was Justin Williams. Number 19 was Edmundo Sosa. Number 18, Henesis Cabrera. Number 17. There's a bit of a gap here. Lane Thomas. Number 16, Jordan Hicks. Number 15, Alex Reyes. Number 14, Carlos Martinez. Number 13, Harrison Bader. At 12, Giovanni Gallegos. 11 was Adam Wainwright. 10 was KK. Yesterday we had at number nine, Yadier Molina. And at number eight, one of the swing players for the season, Tyler O'Neill. here's my question to you Alex what does Tyler O'Neill need to do for this season to be a success what do we need to see from him for this year to go down as being Tyler O'Neal is your left fielder every day he's your clear starter that's the guy
4: moving forward I think he needs a lot of contact rate uh, and that's the biggest thing for me with Tyler O'Neill. you know look I'd love to see 20 home runs from this guy but the most important factor for me to say, OK, I'm still on board this Tyler O'Neill hype train because I have been like you said in the tease. I haven't gotten off of this because I do feel that Tyler O'Neill is a legitimate major league player for the Cardinals. I mean, there's a reason this guy hit 26 bombs in a season at AAA with the Cardinals. Now, I understand it's AAA, but you're still seeing major league talent at the AAA level. But it comes down to contact for me. It comes down to less strikeouts, more hard hit balls, and frankly, trying to get more walks right now. If he keeps doing what he's doing in training camp, he for sure will open up the season as an everyday player in the outfield. I mean, BK, I know you're a big numbers nerd. Uh, I think he's hitting numbers 4.7. Numbers nerd, he said it he numbers. Said it without, no, yeah, sorry. there we go. I'm not as nasally as you, so I got to get to that. I'm sorry. Uh, 4.17 batting average a 1.212 OPS. That's for BK and this guy is above 1,000 OPS right now. I understand it's only 12 at-bats. I understand it's spring training but if the confidence can continue to run here then throw Tyler Neal's an everyday starter to begin the season and it just needs to be a lot more contact and a lot less whiffs for him to stay in the lineup that way.
5: I agree with you health is a big thing for me too can he stay healthy's been the biggest that's been the biggest issue for me and like you mentioned the contact (laughs) to me i'm not too worried about the walks because i'm gonna live with him striking out a lot because i'm going basically is, is it's a double it's a home run or it's a strikeout and to me that's fine in this lineup if he's hitting sixth i think you can live with that and i think to me, I, I've said this since, I think, last year. that To me, he projects like a Randall Grichik. He's going to hit about 230, 250. He has a chance to hit about 30 home runs, drive in close to 80. To me, if he does that, and I said this last year and it turned out to backfire on me, if he does that, he's your starting left fielder. If he doesn't do anything less than that, to me, you're going to have to go to someone else in left field, whether it's outside the organization or Thomas steps into that role. So that's something that I find
2: really interesting is this comparison between him and Randall Grichik. Because I think a lot of Cardinals fans are on the same wavelength as you, Tanner. They, they would say, hey, just become Randall Gritchick and we'd be fine with it at this point. But then I, I'll i tell you the numbers for Randall Gritchik. Can you tell me if this is something that you would sign up for? Because I think the answer might be no, if you actually hear what Randall Gritchick is in terms of the, the true numbers. So Gritchik in his three years with Toronto on average per 162 games is a 245 hitter. He gets on base less than 30% of the time. He's a 293 on base percentage, which is awful. Absolutely awful. He has a 770 OPS. So in terms of like, if you smooth this out for ballpark, ballpark factors and all of that, he's 5% above league average over the last three seasons. Now it does come with power though. 35 doubles, 34 homers per year. If you go on a per 162 game basis, really good. That's really good power. But are you willing to take that power at the expense of really bad on base percentage and at least below league average batting average? Is that enough for you?
4: See, it is for me because I'm not relying on him to be a top four hitter in my lineup. I'm not thinking him as a a Dylan Carlson. I'm thinking of him as a guy that's purely power a guy that's towards the bottom of your batting order, and that's where it comes back to the contact rate for me, BK. If he's hitting b- behind Arenado and Goldschmidt and Edmund and Carlson, and if he's hitting behind Young and Molina, that's a lot of get on and get base. I need Tyler O'Neal to have hard contact to maybe get some runners over. That's the biggest thing for me with Tyler O'Neal is, yes, I want him to be on base. Yes, I want you to be above average when it comes to OPS. But I also want you to have the ability to move runners over when they're on base, whether that be a hard hit pop fly or a ball that goes to the warning track. Just don't strike out. That's my biggest concern, because if he does, then I am going to Lane Thomas.
5: See, I'm with you. I would buy in on this because he doesn't have to be that guy that's like hitting fourth. He's going to hit sixth in my mind, six or seven. And if he doesn't bring in those guys, I'm not too concerned because my fi- my thinking behind this is is I want him to be a damage guy. That's when he is up, has a chance to hit a home run, and three guys score. I look at it as Goldie and Arnado are ahead of him to drive in the top two guys, even though it seems like they're going to go two, three, four, and then it's up to DeYoung to bring in those guys. And then it's to O'Neill to kind of be that uh, final sweep of, I've got the power. I'm going to drive in these two. That's why I sign up for, it. I, I think to me, if he strikes out a lot, but he's hitting 30 home runs, you take that any day.
2: I wouldn't do it. I'm not signing up for that. Not in this lineup. I need somebody that's going to be a little more productive in terms of the on-base 20, a two ninety five on base percentage is awful. I, if if Randall Gritchick was in the Cardinals lineup every day over the last three seasons, I think people would be sick of watching that type of a player in the lineup every day. You're getting a ton of strikeouts with almost zero walks. He's not making contact. And when he does, he, may, he it's damaging for the other team, but it's just not there very often. I, the reason why I say that is because I think Tyler O'Neill actually has the potential to be better. And when you look at some of the signs from last year, while frustrating, I acknowledge that some of the signs were actually really positive. He swung less often, but when he swung, he made contact at a much higher clip than he had at any point in his career. He was reaching out of the zone less often. In terms of swinging strikes, he went from 23% in his first year in the bigs to 20% in his second year. Last year, he was down to 15% as a swinging strike rate. Basically, he was whiffing much, much, much less often last year. Those are all really positive signs. If he's able to continue that in a positive direction this year, you might be able to get a little bit of a higher on-base percentage out of him because he does walk more than a guy like Randall Grichik ever did. So I think there's some positive signs here. I hope they're able to get the best out of him. I would have him a little lower on my list of the most important players but the reason why he's this high is because of that power potential and if he realizes it this year it's a game changer for the lineup because now you've got a real power producer batting like you guys said sixth in your lineup i'm final 35 home runs over 162 i need that batting average and on base percentage in particular to be a little higher though at number eight on our 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. It is Tyler O'Neill. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next. This is the
1: BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
2: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get into some pitching talk with Eno Saris of The Athletic coming up in just about 10 minutes or so. Let's start with this from the 3-1-4. Guys, Matt Carpenter still doesn't have a hit in spring training. What do the Cardinals do with him if he doesn't start hitting this year?
4: Well, what would I do with them if I was the Cardinals? I would say you're strictly a pinch hitter for us until we absolutely need you. What are the Cardinals going to do with him? Probably bat him lead off and play him second base. At least that's what the inklings we've gotten from spring training, but... The thing that makes the most sense is to tell Matt Carpenter that you are going to spell Tommy Edman, Paul DeYoung for us. And what I mean by Paul DeYoung is play him at second so Tommy can play short and maybe give the days off to Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt at first and third. When there's a DH, you get in at the DH if Lane Thomas isn't playing. But at the end of the day, Matt Carpenter is showing in spring training that he's not going to be in this lineup on a daily basis because this was the experiment and the experiment hasn't worked. Now, there's still some spring training games left, BK, but as much as I have been pumping him up and you have been shooting me down, I'm starting to understand where you're coming from. Like, this is a problem for the Cardinals if you have Matt Carpenter in your lineup.
5: Yeah, I'm with you. It, it's a problem right now. He's 0 for 13. I think he's got what seven strikeouts or something. I mean, he's yeah. stricken out almost half the time he's Most been up there. Most of
2: those there. were early on, for what it's worth. He's he's played a little better
5: of late in terms of made a nice the play timing. yesterday. Nice diving yeah, play to his I think his left. Yeah, I, if he doesn't hit, he's coming off the bench. And if he continues to not hit, I, I really do believe the Cardinals will look at just moving on from his contract. And I know I saw that look, PK. I, I know. know I know it'd be hard to... I think you just, just bite the bullet. I never thought they'd move on from Cecil's contract, and they did it before they even That's got to the season. Though, man. They this won't is,
2: do it. This is a legacy player. I, like, they said yeah. it the moment that they re-signed him was this is a legacy contract yep. for a legacy player, and they believe in that stuff. They, they do, and you can disagree with it all you want, and I understand, but there is some value in that. The sentimentality mm-hmm. of it, there's a reason why it matters to this team, and Matt Carpenter... God love him has not played the way that he wanted to, or that the Cardinals wanted him to the last couple of years. We all agree with that, but he very well may be someday a Cardinals hall of famer and you don't cut bait with that guy. You don't. And so from a purely business perspective, I don't think they'll do it, man. I, I know that like the comp is Johnny Peralta, Johnny Peralta wasn't working. It didn't go well for him, and they just kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. And then eventually, it was like mid-July, I think, they said, you know what? This isn't working. We've we've got to cut bait with Johnny Peralta. We like him, but it's just not working here. But there wasn't that same legacy with Peralta in St. Louis that there is with Matt Carpenter. And so
4: I don't think they'll do it i'm with you like it or not matt carpenter's going out like matt, matt holiday went out he's going to be a cardinal as he retires or if he decides to look for swear he's going to be a cardinal and you, you you can't cut bait with him i think the major part in the impact of matt carpenter is that locker room guy because he's got such good friendship with nolan arenado such good friendship with paul goldschmidt with yadier molina He's that kind of bonding piece between those. And look, like it or not, people don't agree with it. You need those guys in your clubhouse. You need those guys in your locker room if you want to have a, a a successful team. Remember what Ponce told us yesterday. You can look at the Dodgers and Padres all you want, but they're not as close as we are. And I don't know if that's going to make a difference. But if you lose Matt Carpenter, you're taking a guy out of the clubhouse that I think has an
5: impact. So what do you do if he hits? below 200 and it continues that way and he doesn't look comfortable I, to me pine. you can't to me you cannot just ha- ride the pine to, well you have guys that could be on your team and producing who? for you he, i don't nobody. know who yet i'm just saying at some point someone's gonna be playing well enough like a Nagalski. i don't sure. think he's making the big league club but i think he could produce for this team
2: you make a really good point and it it's it's going to be a roster crunch for them and it's something that they are this is a question that they're gonna have to ask at some point if car carpenter does not start hitting because you look at the bench, and it's going to be one of the outfielders every day. Whoever isn't playing in that given day. Thomas, O'Neill, Carlson, Bader, whoever's not out there. You're going to have Carpenter on the bench. You're going to have whoever your backup catcher is this season. I would guess Kisner, but we'll see. You're going to have Edmundo Sosa because he's out of options, so he's going to be with the big league club all year. There's almost zero flexibility with that bench. And then you probably have one other guy. Maybe it's Justin Williams if he's out of options this year. Maybe it ends up being... Nagowski or you have a rotation of guys of that spot it's not a whole lot of flexibility and if Mm -hmm. Matt Carpenter is there and there's somebody that's raking down in AAA that you want to get an opportunity there's going to be a conversation about that and I don't know but my guess is Matt Carpenter is going to be on this team come the end of the season I would be very surprised if he's not or there's going to be a phantom IR stint or Mm -hmm. IL whatever they're calling it these days
5: yeah. And, and I don't see them coasting through this NL Central. So it's not like they're just going to win this Central and they can just sit him on the bench and just wait and see. I, I think every person on this roster is going to matter for this Cardinals team because I do believe, especially with the Michaelis injury, the Brewers are going to push the Cardinals this season. Yeah, I but look, if, if
4: we're talking about Matt Carpenter's offense being the make or break for this team winning the NL Central, then they have bigger issues because there are... There are nine guys in that lineup that I would say is offense a lot more impact. impactful than Carpenter if he's hitting 200 or less. Six five
2: seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get more into some of your questions coming up this afternoon with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Eno Saris writes some fantastic stuff on pitching in particular for the Athletic. I want to ask him about this injury for Miles Michaelis. How much does he believe this is going to be a problem for the long-term future of Michaelis? Plus, what is the best role for a guy like Alex Reyes, who you believe will get 100 innings this season? We'll ask Eno Saris about all of that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is
1: the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
2: I'm Brandon Kylie, It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the Brown and and Celebrity Line right now. Baseball writer for the athletic Eno Saras joining us here on the show. For my money, I'm not sure there's anybody that writes better about pitching in the game of baseball than Eno Saras. Eno, thanks so much for the time today, man. How you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on.
2: Absolutely. So we've got a lot of pitching questions right about now <laughs> in St. Louis. Eno. Um, let's start with Miles Michaelis, who... Last year had the forearm flexor tendon surgery this year came back to spring training and it was like, you know, not feeling great. A little bit of, I think they called it a barking shoulder at first and they kept pushing things back and pushing things back. And then finally yesterday, we got the official word. He's going to have some imaging done on his shoulder to find out if there's anything structurally wrong there. Uh, We don't know the specifics about Miles Michaelis and I wouldn't ask you for them because none of us know, frankly, but when you look at a guy that had that forearm flexor tendon issue and now has a shoulder issue in general, how much of a concern would this be to you?
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a problem. I mean, uh, you talk about, um, the kinetic chain, uh, that starts, uh, with your lower half and ends with your hand. That's the, the sort of the process of creating velocity or creating a, you know, pitching, um, when you see an injury kind of creep up the kinetic chain and kind of go from the forearm up to the shoulder, um, that's a problem. And just, just in general, uh, shoulders are, are just a mess. It, you know, comebacks from shoulder surgery are much, much harder than they are from elbows. So I, I hope there's nothing big there. Uh, but just the fact that there's already an MRI, I would expect him to miss some time. So, you know, I'm curious
4: because I think going into the season before the news of Miles Michael is a lot of people were, were high on this Cardinals rotation and pitching staff in general. But now with this news, where do you place a Cardinals rotation in terms of just their pitching and their pitching depth in Major League Baseball?
0: Yeah, um, I, I think it's, uh, it's a part of... Partially, the 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 top looks nice. I mean, I I'll I'll give them. I love Jack Flaherty, and I'll put him up against anybody. Really, I have him in my top ten. I think, uh, or just outside of it in my in my uh, rankings. Um, actually, I can tell you where I have I have number eight. So, you, know like, I think right. a a you know what? All right, a live reveal. How about
2: that? that you know.
0: <laughs> but um, but you know, behind him, uh, Kim actually uh, really popped. I have a, a stuff number, and apparently, his stuff. Uh, ranks highly, even though his strikeout rate was not there last year. So, I think Kim is kind of underrated. and I think Wainwright is underrated. Like he, he, he. Like it's not stuff in terms of a radar gun, but it, it is stuff in terms of uh, vertical movement. That curveball still. And I don't think he can be as effective at ninety. He does not have good command, and he really used to be a ninety-five guy. So now you have Carlos Martinez as a, as a, as a possible problem. I think his best spot is in the in the bullpen already. You have miles out. Uh, I don't think Oviedo is ready. You're going to maybe start the season with Gant and Ponce in the rotation, and then your depth is already shot. And, and Teams use six to seven starters heavily in a given season, and they use 10 starters at, on average in a season. So they have to kind of get a little lucky and get a lot of health out of that rotation.
2: We're talking to SARS here on 100 ESP. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Carlos Martinez because he's the guy that I have focused a lot on today. Um, he, I think he's got the most pressure on him of any of these guys that we've talked about. I feel really good about the top three. I, they're going to go with one or one of John Gant or Ponce as their fifth starter. I actually think they've basically locked in on Carlos Martinez as that fourth starter right now. Eno, you mentioned he was sitting at 90 to 91 yesterday. Is that something that in your experience can he bump up from that prior to the season? Or how much wiggle room is there for him ramping up between now and I guess a month from now, whenever he's officially going as fourth or fifth starter for them?
0: You know, on this is it's hard to speak because you're talking about like on average, right? Like all sure. pitchers. He's obviously different. He's had, you know, large swings up and down himself. So it's possible there's more in there. But on average, you might get a tick. Uh, from the beginning of spring training to the end, so one mile an hour, and then there might be another sort of half mile to a mile. By August is kind of when velocities peak. I mean, if you give him both of those ticks, he's ninety-two, and uh, that was the worst we've seen him in the past. So I, I kind of think um, the velo just isn't there, and I don't, and I and I don't know why. It doesn't seem like he's um, kept up his arm care routines. Um, and, uh, and I think that, uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be an issue. I think he's, he's going to have some struggles out of that spot, you know, obviously he had a good start the other day and he was like the first Cardinals starting pitcher to get through the first, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I, he does have good movement on his pitches. So it's possible that he's just not a command artist. And when you, when you're not a command artist and you drop from 95 down to 92, it's, it's, it's a big deal. And also there's kind of a shelf. At ninety four, you know, from ninety to ninety four, big change, like changes within there is not as big a deal as being above ninety four, um, or below ninety. And if he's going to be, uh, if he's going to go from the last time he was starting being kind of ninety four plus to being, you know, in the nineties, that's going to be a big deal.
4: You know, you mentioned the two guys that are, are kind of the the favorites, I guess, for a lack of a better word, uh, for that fifth spot between Ponce de Leon and John Gant. You've seen both guys. Cardinals fans have seen both guys. Who do you like better as that option in terms of a fifth starter? Would it be Ponce or would it be
0: John Gant? I thought it'd be Ponce just because I thought that Ponce uh, maybe had more recent uh, – um, I'm kind of looking at it right now just to see what I've got, see if I'm wrong. I guess, uh, yeah, Ponce had like 140-so innings in 2019, um, and when was the last time John Gantt was a starter? Uh, he had 2018, I think was the last time that he was significant. Yeah. So I I would, I would think that Ponce would be ahead just because he has more innings. Now, maybe if, um, maybe Ponce replaces Martinez, if Martinez goes the bullpen, because that seems like a long-term deal and maybe Gant, uh, replaces, uh, Michaelis because that they hope it's a short-term deal. Uh, but, um, so I think that's some, some, some part of that that is is the kind of the thinking they'll go through. Uh, because I don't think that Gantt has enough innings to be a starter all year. I think Ponce could be closer to that. We're talking to Enos. Gant has a, has a starter's arsenal, though. I mean, if you want to be honest, it is a he has like a four or five-pitch arsenal. So, you know, he could be a starter.
2: Yeah, and Ponce really doesn't. He he kind of uses, for the most part, two, maybe three pitches. and that I think that's probably the concern for most Cardinals fans is just how reliant Ponce has been in the past with his fastball. How how much of a concern would that be for you? Because he's been a guy that's really picking up that pitch count and struggles to get through four or five innings as a starter.
0: Yeah, I think that's the poor command. Um, but what I did see out of him last year that makes me think that he could be a starter is his curveball really took a step forward. Um, his curveball was a lot better last year, and um, what I've seen in the spring, I like the curveball. So I'll give him three pitches. I'll give him three pitches. To me, it's the command that's the big issue. Um, and I was maybe, you know, the, since the curveball kind of changed shape last year, I was hoping that maybe with an off-season of practice with it and just a little more time with it, that he would improve his command. But I don't know that he's been a plus command guy um, at any point in his career. So he may just not have great fastball command, and that's that's just going to run up pitch counts. It's gonna uh, it's gonna get you out of there in the fourth or fifth. Um, but other teams have found ways to simplify the game plan for guys with uh, lesser, lesser command or uh, just to use the bullpen heavily on those days. Get them out there quicker.
2: You know, the guy that Cardinals fans have been absolutely thrilled is finally healthy this offseason is Alex Reyes from looks tremendous so far in spring training. He's like the one Cardinals pitcher not named Adam Wainwright that's been really good so far. And yesterday we got the news that he's going to be a reliever at the very least to start the year this year. And the Cardinals are talking about maybe right around 100 innings is what they're kind of targeting for him. I am curious in your experience for these guys, like if if I tell you at the beginning of the year, hey, they're going to have 100 innings to be able to play with. What do you think is the best way to ration that out? Like, do, do you go with the multi-inning reliever that's kind of in, extinct in baseball for the most part now or? do you consider like the first half of the season being a reliever and then seconding the second, what do you think is the best way to divvy that out for the Cardinals with a guy like Alex Reyes?
0: Well, uh, you know, it's funny. I think it just goes right hand in hand with what we were just talking about with Gant and Ponce. So if Gant and Ponce are both in the rotation or if either of them is in the rotation, you're not expecting them to go deep in games. Neither of them has sort of built that stamina or or shown that ability in in the last two years. So, um, you know, Reyes then the, the the struggle is that you want to keep Reyes a little bit stretched out so that if there is a chance that he's useful as a starter in the second half, which I, I still think he's got that sort of golden upside of being a very good starter. If you, if you want to try him as a starter in the second half, you can't be pitching him, you know, two or three outs at a time in the first half of the season. So the, the good news is uh, there could be a hand in glove here where, Reyes is the kind of piggyback starter where he comes in on Ponce and Gantt days um, to give them those two, three innings they need. And so you might see really good and there might be people saying, "No, nah, make, make him a reliever. We want him in there every day, and we need him as a setup guy. Um, but if they have the patience to, to get him in there, you know every few days for two innings, uh, that's going to keep him closer to to getting there as a starter in the, in the long term. And and for what it's worth, I think the the Cardinals bullpen is decent. You know, I, I think that they don't necessarily need to to uh, rush him in there because uh, looks good and and is ready to go as the closer. Uh, I like Helsley. Um, you know, Andrew Miller and Gallegos are are capable guys. Genesis Cabrera looks good. So. You know, if you've got those, if you've got that group of relievers, you don't have the pressure on Reyes to 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 be the closer, be the setup guy. So I would use him two innings at a time and and get to the get to the bullpen with him.
4: You know, my final question for you, Reyes. Looking at the the near future of, of next season, do you see this guy as a potential top starter for the Cardinals still?
0: I do, and um, you know he's got the same problem as Ponce, though. I mean, the command is. Even when he's going well, the command isn't isn't amazing. But the one thing about Reyes that I think ne- not, that the Ponce doesn't necessarily have is the ability to stuff his way through that, right? <laughs> I mean yeah. there are guys there are guys in the big leagues who don't have amazing command but just have just outstanding stuff. I think of a guy like Tyler Glass now, you know, and you just keep it simple and you tell them, Man, you move so much and you throw ninety seven and you know, all this stuff is so nasty just Kind of aim towards the middle of the plate, you know, mix up your pitches well and and you'll you'll find some success. So um I, I still see that as an opportunity for Reyes in the future.
2: He's Eno Saris, for my money, one of the best baseball riders, especially on pitching and in, in the land. You can find his work over at V Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at his name, Eno S A R R I S. Eno, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. All the best to you and we'll talk with you again soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. That is Eno Saris joining us here on 101 ESPN. I like what he said about Ponce because he basically saying, like, hey, listen, it's not a stuff issue for him. He's got the stuff to be able to get through it. It's it's a command issue. And that's the thing that he needs to work through is can you improve that command? Typically the answer is no. You you kind of either have it or you don't. Mm-hmm. But I want to find out if he can this year because if he has really good stuff. He's the guy that, for me, I would be turning to as my fifth starter to begin the year. Um, I I like John Gant. I think John Gant is good at baseball, but he I is. think John Gant's best role in baseball baseball rather is as a reliever as opposed to as a starter.
4: The problem is you, you you have so many guys that are the depth pitchers for you quote unquote depth pitchers that have command issues. John Gant, Alex Reyes, Ponce de Leon. Carlos. I mean, even go down Carlos Johan. All of these guys have command issues, which means you have to have a strong bullpen that is going to be able to pitch a lot of innings this season. My concern is those guys are going to get taxed like we've seen in the past when they have to be utilized too much.
2: By the way, he mentioned how uh, Carlos has struggled with his his velo recently, especially in spring training. I went back and looked at what Carlos's fastball did last year for him. Oh, boy. Opposing hitters hit 380 against his four seam fastball and 355 against his sinker last year. And that's in part because the velo wasn't there for him. He was sitting at 93 on his four seam, 91 on his sinker last year. That was down about five miles per hour on his four seam and wow. three miles per hour on his sinker from the last time that we had seen him be super effective. That's something worth watching worth monitoring moving forward is to find out can that velo get back for him and if it can't oh boy um not great that is absolutely correct keep it's, it
4: quiet t-bone
2: it's twelve nineteen. your time check brought to you by clarkson jewelers an officially licensed rolex jeweler coming up next i've got a lineup proposal for the blues i'll pass it along to alex ferrario coming up next on 101 espn this is the bk and ferrario podcast
1: now here's bk and ferrario
6: It's still wait and see. You know, there's probably a good chance uh, the only guy that will be back on the weekend is Sunquist.
2: That was Craig Berube after the game on, what was it, Sunday night? I've lost track (laughs) of all day. I don't know what
4: day it is anymore, BK. The last game the Blues
2: played. That's what he had to say. It sounds (laughs) like Sonny could be back this weekend, which is great news for the Blues. And Alex, it means that Blues guy BK has a proposal for you.
4: Oh, is that where we are now? No more BKO. It's blues guy BK. That's right. So I think I'm ready to move Jordan Cairo. Oh, finally, huh? Yep. Yep.
2: Uh, He's had probably his two worst games in terms of offensive production since Vladdy's been back. I think he's been a little bit too deferential. I think he's deferred to Vladdy on the ice uh, at times and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I get it. Vladimir Tarasenko a tremendous player, and you want to get him involved. I'm all for it. But I think you could get more out of Jordan Kyrou by moving him down in the lineup right now. So what I would recommend for the Blues, and the only way they can do this is if Sonny's back, because they need him to center that third line. Because Sanford, w- with him down there, I, I don't want Kyrou in that third line. <laughs> so, and that's not a shot against Sanford. He's just not your typical center. I don't think he would be able to best utilize Jordan Kyrou. Come to the garden, Sanford. <laughs> So, with him back, with Sonny back, I think I would propose Sanford bumping back up to Ryan O'Reilly's line. Okay. Putting either Vladdy or Perron right wing on Ryan O'Reilly's line. I'm good with either of them. I think I would keep Vladdy there for now, though. That second line, keeping it as is Hoffman, Shin, Perron. And then that third line, that's really where the shakeup happens. You've got either Blay or Walker on left wing. You've got Sonny as your center, and Jordan Cairo will be your third-line right winger. I think by doing this, you now have three legitimate scoring threats. You've got a scoring threat on all of your three lines. You've got Vlady on that top line with O'Reilly. You've got Perron and Hoffman with Shin, and now you've got Cairo on that third line with Sonny. That's the way that I would probably construct them if Sonny's back for the next game.
4: Yeah, that's the major issue. I like the lines. The only thing I would say is I think I would give Jordan Kairou that shot back with Braden Shen. I'd put him on the left wing with Shen and Perron just because Kairou played his best games with Braden Shen. I mean, he dipped a little bit when he moved up with Ryan O'Reilly, but the reason I like your lines better BK is because Kairou's on the right wing. Yeah. Now it, look, T- take Pick your poison right now. Hoffman or Kairou have to play on the left wing for you, and that's the problem because both guys prefer the right side. Hoffman seemingly, though, has found some
2: success with this line. Even though it's been on the left wing, I think him working off of Shin has
4: worked pretty well so far. And I think that's the same reason why Jordan Cairo worked on that line. I mean, uh, Braden Shen is, is a mixed Mr. Fixer too because he is a hard-nosed four-checker. David Perron's the exact same, so Mike Kaufman can play his game. You know, Joey and I were talking about this, and we'll talk about it on This Week in Hockey tonight at 6 o'clock. Shout out! But Joey mentioned how the identity needs to shift from an, of an entire roster identity to a line identity. And being a line identity would mean each line has a different role out there. So if you have Mike Hoffman playing with Braden Shen and David Perron, let Mike Hoffman be Mike Hoffman, but change the identity of that line overall. So moving Jordan Cairo to a right wing once again, I think is going to benefit him. But again, only works if Oscar Sundquist is there. And I like the idea of Oscar Sundquist with Cairo because Look at how good Robert Thomas was in the first game playing with Oscar Sundquist.
2: Remember how fun it was at the beginning of the season to talk about, you know, where do you play Robert Thomas? Who do you pair him with? And Hey man, Oh, I really like Jaden Schwartz with shin, but what do you do with Hoffman now? And Oh, it's going to be so great when this team is actually healthy again, to be able to talk about like the good problems as opposed to uh,
4: (laughs) Walker or Blay on that third line. I don't know. I don't know. Remember when our biggest problem was what's going to happen when Vladimir Tarasenko returns and we have cap issues and or how is hey, he going to fit in? They've got fit too
2: in? many centers. How do we fit all of these centers into the lineup? Now it's like, uh, oh,
4: who's going to play center? I guess we're going with Sanford. I don't know. Yep. I tell you what, though, man. I have been really impressed by Dakota Joshua. He's been great. Now, he has been. Now, I don't. I didn't expect him to be this, you know, life-saving player because he wasn't destined for an NHL spot but you know who he plays a lot like? He plays a lot like David Backus in his prime in St. Louis. Big, heavy guy. He has a little bit more speed than David Backus, but he wins face-offs. And BK, that is the biggest thing that Craig Berube wants from his players is puck possession. And if you have a third-line center or a fourth-line center who can win faceoffs, he's going to get more ice time. So... I like the idea of Dakota Joshua sticking around in that lineup when people start to get healthy. Now, when you're at full strength, I don't expect him to be in the lineup, but I don't mind the, the idea or the opportunity of a Dakota Joshua playing with a Jordan Cairo on that third line, because you have size and speed. And if the speed can get to the net, the size is going to take the eyes away from the goaltender.
2: Can we pretend for a second that everybody's going to be healthy for the playoffs? I, I, I it's
4: ending. It's a it's a certain thing, BK. So how do you set the lineups and oh. the lines up for the postseason? Oh, BK, I, I've been dreaming of this moment. Are you kidding me? Okay. Your number one line is Sanford O'Reilly Perron. Your number two line is Brayden Shen Jaden Schwartz, and Vladimir Tarasenko. Your number three line is Robert Thomas, Jordan Kairu, and Tyler Bozak, and your fourth line is Barbashev, Sunquist, and Clifford. What was that's your it? third line? Third line would be Tyler Bozak on a wing, Robert Thomas as your center, and Jordan Kyrou on the right side. So who are we leaving out of this mix? So Sammy Blay would where's be out Hoffman? of the lineup. Yeah, What's where's that? Hoffman?
2: Oh. You can probably go about out play him, I would okay, imagine. Okay, yeah, no,
4: Hoffman's on the third line. Tyler Bozak might be the one that's out of the lineup for me. Or a fourth
2: liner. And now he's in that Alex Steen role.
4: Yes, but... Who's the fourth liner you're taking out? Because I'm not taking Kyle Clifford out, especially in a playoff series. You need Oscar Sundquist. And, uh, you know, uh, Ivan Barbashev has played really well for you when he was in the lineup and he was healthy. Now, I think, uh, again, the cliche saying in hockey, this will all work itself sure, out. Sure, yeah, yeah, of course it will. But yeah, Ivan Barbashev going to take a little bit more time. So, yeah, your fourth line could be an Oscar Sundquist a Kyle Clifford and Tyler Bozak. But I love the idea of a Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo together because you have two fast players. And we all know Robert Thomas is a unselfish player who doesn't like to shoot. Well, guess what? Put two guys on the line with him that love to shoot and start creating havoc on the ice.
2: It's pretty crazy because the lineup that you just made, might not include Tyler Bozak, either him or Kyle Clifford, I think would be, yep. y- you're probably deciding between those two on a game in game out basis. It yep. does not include Mackenzie McEachern, Dakota, Joshua, Nathan Walker, Sammy Blay. And those are all guys that are playing significant
4: minutes for the blues right now and playing well for them too. Like Mackenzie McEachern doesn't deserve to come out of this lineup. He has played awesome on that fourth line role, but and- when you get everyone back, you have to man.
2: Somebody earlier today asked the question on the text line, six five seven eight zero. so the blues just went four Oh and two on the road trip. And it feels like it probably wasn't enough, or it feels a little disappointing given the way that they ended it. He said, why does it feel that way? I, I think it's because of what we're talking about. Like the guys that have been filling in, it doesn't feel right now that you're playing with a bunch of fill in scrubs, mm-hmm. right? Cause they've played well. And so like when you're watching the game, it feels like, Oh, this is a team that can continue winning. Right, And that's despite the fact that right now, basically your entire bottom six is made up of guys, for the most part, that shouldn't be in the lineup right now. And mm-hmm. so the four zero and 2 road trip is an amazing accomplishment. And the reason why, if you're a Blues fan that feels a little disappointed or cheated out of those last two points on the road trip... It's because of what we were just talking about. Like, these guys have completely overperformed expectations, and it makes you feel like the team should be even doing better than they have been.
4: Right, and I think the reason people are so, not frustrated, but feel like it's not a successful road trip is because they've all been too close of hockey games. They're not blowouts, and people are expecting blowouts from this Blues team. But look, defensively, they're still dealing with issues. You don't have Colton Pareko back there. You don't have the best defender on the team. If, If he was playing right now, BK, I fully believe... That those games would not be as close as they ended up being, but you're dealing with uh, you're dealing with a lot of issues right now on the blue line. That being said, Marco Scandella, dude, he is playing really
2: well, it's and the way he's Italian, the way absolutely, the way that he has been um, getting up in the rush, getting more involved offensively, is something yeah. I legitimately didn't know that he was capable of, and this mm-hmm. is one of those things where it's like don't tell me what a player can't do. Tell me what he can. And also sometimes it's not that a player can't do something. It's that he's never been asked to do it. Right. And Marco Scandella, it's becoming very clear. He was just never asked to be a part of the rush because he was always the defensive defenseman. And now when you've got guys like Nico Mikula, who could take on more of that role, he's being asked to be more a part of the rush. And it's been awesome to be able to watch that because he's really kind of, he's come into his own as, as that style of a player without Colton Pareko being out there
4: real quick. BK. I know we got to take a, get get to a break, but we haven't seen this season. Colton Pareko, Marco Scandella with Krug and Falk because everyone's been injured at some point. That is the best defensive pairings that you can have this season in the postseason if you're back to full strength because Pareko and Scandella can be your shutdown pair. We've already talked about Krug and Falk being shut down, and then you legitimately might be going into the question of does Vince Dunn sit so Nico Mikula and Robert Bortuzzo can round out no. your bottom two? No.
2: Uh, Bortuzzo would be my guy that's sitting. And, and by and the way, you got two lefties, though. That's fine. I, I actually kind of like Marco Scandella on the right side. I kind of like his pairing right now. I I would not hate moving forward if you've got either Vince Dunn or Nico Mikula, one of those two guys paired with Colton Pareco and the other one paired with Marco Scandella. I, I kind of like the idea of Dunn with uh, Pareco at this point. Um, and I, I, I actually like Scandella with Mikula because I like Scandella getting involved in the rush more often. I think yeah. it, it's it's brought up the best in him so far yeah. this year.
4: Well, you are you are the blues guy, not me.
2: <laughs> with Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's ridiculous. It's nonsense. We're not going to even approach it. Coming up next, I am the football guy, though. And the Dak Prescott contract for me, I wonder if it's going to change the way that these teams approach their quarterback contracts. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and
1: Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
2: With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So I'm curious, what does this Dak Prescott contract mean for other teams around the league that have young quarterbacks that they like, but maybe don't love because Dak Prescott just got all of the money. And the reason why he got all of the money is because he waited and he played the leverage game. He ended up on the franchise tag and he won and Jerry Jones lost. And now he's going to make $40 million per season because he won this negotiation. So here's the thing. I think there's two paths that you go down with your young quarterback. Either you go down this Dak Dak Prescott route, which is what the Titans did, by the way, with Marcus Mariota. It's what the um, Buccaneers did with Jameis Winston. You ride it all the way out to the five years, and you find out if that's your guy or not. And if it is, you end up re-signing him, and this is where the Cowboys got to. They they ended up re-signing him. Or if he's not, you let him walk. The problem is there's the flip side of the coin. You can also get him signed early. This is what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. It's what the Eagles did and had much less success with Carson Wentz. Woof. It's what the Rams did with Jared Goff. Woof. Woof. So you've got both sides there, right? Like, you could lose because you end up paying your quarterback more than you wanted to. $40 million for Dak Prescott is more than he's worth, but it's what somebody was willing to pay him. Or you get him paid early, and you might pay much less. $25, $27 million is what... The Eagles and Rams had to pay for Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, but if you're wrong and they stink, well, now we've seen what happened to those franchises. So, how do you think that, given the news that we've seen this off season with Dak, Goff, and Wentz, how is this going to impact the way that teams play these things out with their quarterbacks in the future? In your opinion, Alex?
4: Yeah, you know the teams that come to mind too, and I'm sure you're thinking this as well, BK. The Buffalo Bills with mm-hmm. Josh Allen. Um, I guess Joe Burrow right now with the Cincinnati Bengals. Although I know that injury kind of puts a hiccup into it, but I, I think the smart play, if I'm a team, is to pay them early because it's cheaper. Now you don't want to pay them early and do what you did with Carson Wentz of throwing all of that money at them and handcuffing yourself. But I, I, I'm just thinking in the sense of the Buffalo Bills, like you know right now that Josh Allen is the franchise guy. He's That's the, the guy one that I
2: think's easy. I, I yes. think, that, I think it's easy. You get this done this off season for Josh Allen.
4: So, so what, what would be one of the difficult ones then in your opinion, Cleveland to sit there, Cleveland with Baker. I
2: don't know what you do. I, I don't know because I, I, today gun to my head is, is Baker Mayfield going to be the quarterback in Cleveland five years from now? I don't have a good answer no. for you. I don't, I don't have a good answer is, though. I don't think he is. If you don't think he's going to be, you can't pay him this offseason or you risk going into the same scenario that the Eagles and Rams just found themselves in. But, but the other side of that coin, and there's always this possibility, he might be great. He might have taken another step this past year. He figured something out. He's in the right offensive system now with a good head coach. You've got good receivers, good weapons, a better offensive line in front of him. And maybe he takes another step this upcoming year throws for 4,500 yards and 30 touchdowns and 12 picks. And now he's going to get super expensive after the season. And you might have cost yourself $10 million per year by waiting. That's also a possibility. I would rather pay him that money later than get stuck with a contract that I don't want by paying that guy early he's the one that I have the biggest questions on
4: because then you learn like you did with the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott and look I don't think that that was a good signing with Dak because I think that's way too much money for a guy but the fact that you waited to this point you learned and look nobody wants to go through this as an organization if a guy gets injured and you're you're without him but you learn what your team is like without that quarterback. So in the sense of the Dallas Cowboys, they learned life without Dak Prescott is not good, so we need to lock this guy up. Another one, I guess, would be Lamar Jackson with Baltimore. Yep, it's just who do I was you thinking lo- of. Do you lock him up, T-Bone, and try and know that this is the guy, or do you sit there and say, hey, look, he's been great, but we still don't know if this is the guy for us right now.
5: If I had to choose, if if you put a gun to my head and said you have to either extend That's Baker violent. or Jeez. extend Jackson, a lot of guns to heads right yeah. now. Yeah. what
4: are we doing here, Tanner? Come on.
5: He started it. What do you mean? Uh, I I would say uh, I would extend Baker before I would extend Jackson. Really? See, I'm the other way
2: around. See, That's Jackson
5: Jackson can't throw the ball to me, and a running quarterback like him scares me long term. Same with Kyler Murray. To me, too. I know he's not at that point yet. Yeah. He's getting closer. I'm not though.
4: extending Kyler at all. <laughs> like I'm not even. Even touching
5: that i'm not extending and jackson he's not
4: at eligible
2: all. yet he's got to have yeah. one more year baker is is finally eligible now
4: see i think i would extend baker before i would extend lamar too so here's where i'm at this is the reason i
2: so i think we're all in agreement but we're going about it in different ways the reason why i would go with lamar early is because i don't want to be on the hook later on into his years I want to get it done now because he's 24 years old. His legs are fresher. He's going to hold up better. If I sign him today to a four-year contract extension, I have his age 24, 25, 26, and 27 years. I'm not worried about what he's going to be when he's 30 or beyond right now. But if I play this out with him, and he plays age 24 season this year, he plays his age 25 season next year, he's on that fifth-year option, and then I extend him, now I'm on the hook for 26, 27, 28, 29. It's just... I want the earlier years with him, and I want to get in early for cheaper as opposed to him potentially having another MVP type of a season. I have to pay more, and I'm paying him later on in his career. So I would get it done early for him, not because I'm 100% bought in, but because I don't want to be stuck with him later on if things do go south.
4: And I think it comes down to the injury risk for guys, too. Like when you look at Dak Prescott, of course, that is a little bit more of an injury risk because he's a mobile quarterback, which is what happened. Lamar Jackson, the mobile quarterback Baker is. But Baker's more of the arm guy. So that's at least the part for me. But I don't like both of them stress me out if I'm a a franchise of giving them money. Because like Dak Prescott, yeah, you're great. And the team would be bad without you but you haven't shown me the, oh, this guy can help us win a Super Bowl. I haven't seen that with either of those two.
5: I'm with you there. I, I wonder, too, if part of this playing into waiting longer, which is what I would do with a uh, Baker Mayfield wait a little longer, if I if I had the chance, because look at the quarterback market we're seeing. We're seeing a bunch of guys willing to be moved. I mean, Russell Wilson. Wanting to be
2: moved. Wanting yeah. to be moved. Willing, but Russell, wanting.
5: Russell Wilson wanting out of Seattle, Deshaun Watson, wanting out of Houston. I think that's a growing trend in the NFL, which is why I think it becomes a little easier if I'm a general manager of, okay, I'm going to sit back and wait, see if someone else becomes unhappy. Then if I have to, with my hands tied behind my back, then I'll sign that long-term extension contract.
2: The tough part is, though, like the guys that can do that are top five quarterbacks. The guys that have that leverage that you're talking about. Otherwise, like Sam Darnold's not going to do that because the Jets will say, (laughs) "Okay, we'll cut you then. Like, (laughs) see ya, ya." (laughs) you're done. Uh, The the guys (laughs) that could actually have that kind of leverage are in that Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes type of a category, right? right? And if you're one of those guys, you can basically pick where you go. And if you're the team that has Baker Mayfield, for instance, I don't know if that's where one of those guys is going to want to go. So it, it, it's tough, man. It, it's not an easy job. By the way, as you guys are well aware, the Dak Prescott conversation was uh, was certainly a national topic recently. And the, uh, the, the large morning shows on ESPN, Fox Sports 1, all of those national outlets, they've been talking a lot about it. Well, we know our guy, Michael Irvin, Tends to get a little fired up about his Cowboys, and he went on first take to talk about this, and uh, I'll just go ahead and play you the audio. We have the closest thing in the National Football
1: League to Tom Brady at quarterback now. That's what we have, because Dak Prescott has the ability to do what Tom does, and he has the leadership like Tom. What? That's what, I mean— Dak Prescott alone for his leadership and how these guys follow him was well worth becoming the highest-paid quarterback in NFL history. You got to make sure you measure and count for these things. These are important things. You saw what they were like without him last year. I'm talking about the leadership he gives. That's where he's most like Tom Brady. He's a great leader. And very rarely in this national (laughs) football league do we have quarterbacks being the heart and soul of a football team. Mm. Calm
4: down, Michael. Calm down. (laughs) Calm down, Michael. Calm down. Like Tom Brady. I'm sorry. How many titles did Tom Brady have by the age that Dak Prescott is right now? I think three. Okay. Get the hell out of here, Michael Irvin. I get you're a Hall of Famer, but come on, man. I respect it. I respect him going to bat for his guy.
2: Now, it's lunacy. It's lunacy. I I will say this, though. Dak Prescott is an all-time great leader. When he was at Mississippi State he would pick up his teammates on his way to workouts. Like he, he would either run with them to the workouts or drive them to the workouts with him because a lot of his teammates didn't have cars. And so he would pick up all the guys go into the workouts like this dude. Some of the stories that you hear about him in his time at Mississippi State, he apparently is a really, really fantastic leader, but neither here nor there. I'm here to get the jokes off with you, Alex, with Alex Ferrario <laughs> and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex hey, Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. There was a gentleman that went by the name Richard Bong, Ooh. who was in the military back in the 40s. He was in the war. He was born he on was uh, in the war. September 24th of 1920. Okay. He had a lovely wife. He posted her up. He was a pilot, posted a picture of his wife's uh, face on his plane during the the war. Now, this is one of our fallen veterans that we'll forever miss. Passed away on August 6th of 1945. He lived one hell of a life. The reason why I bring him up today is because I was reading last night on the Internet Web's
3: on the interwebs.
2: There was a gentleman that suggested that this man needs to have a fort named after him somewhere in America. Yes. I think that is absolutely deserving. One of our fallen heroes. We should honor him in some way. So.
4: There's a catch here somewhere. One
2: slight issue. So Mr. Richard Bong went by the nickname Dick. Oh yeah. Well, Dick Bong. So. The problem would be, I don't know that this is a problem. Fort Dick Bong just doesn't have the qu- quite the same ring to it.
4: Are you kidding me? I think yes it does? I think it's fantastic. I don't know. Hey honey, honey, we got a free weekend. Let's go uh, let's go check out the memorials over at Fort Dick Bong. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Major Dick Bong is his uh
2: oh, major is his name. Yeah, he was he was a major in the uh he's not private. in the Air Force. Private Dick Bong would be a good one. Private Dick Bong
4: would be awesome. Sergeant Dick Bong would be better, though. Major's pretty good. Major Dick Bong is pretty good. Colonel. Colonel Dick Bong. I like that one. So
2: Fort Dick Bong is something that I can get behind. (laughs) That is something... Oh, you can get behind that? I could easily get behind that. I think it's something that we need to honor our fallen soldiers. We need to have some respect for their names. Especially respect for the name dick bong and i yeah. think that, i think that we need to get this going t-bone are, are you down honor with honor dick bong is
5: t-bone, what i'm getting are you, behind
4: are you down with dick bong
5: um yeah yeah i'll support this why not look it's a fallen hero you do this no matter what <laughs> that's a good no point so my
2: junk drawer today i just wanted to dedicate a little yeah, bit of good. time to honor the life the legacy the memory of the late great Major dick bong.
4: And, and I think we all need to take a trip there at some point, too, to do that, because that uh, that would be an awesome fort to check out at some point. Well, Alex, look, what do you have for us today, my Yeah, man? So, so that deserves respect and discussion. What doesn't is, I guess, cancel culture ruining one of the better Looney Tunes right now. I don't know if you saw this news, BK, and no, I'm not gonna going to get on? into why they're canceled. Because I know there are very important issues, but I think they are dragging this out. So our guy, Pepe Le Pew, is being taken out of Space Jam and any other Looney Tunes endeavors because they feel that it is embracing, trying to think of the best way to put this, it is embracing sexual harassment. So Pepe Le Pew is embracing sexual harassment. So they say no more of him. And then to top that off. They're getting rid of Speedy Gonzalez because that is basically insensitive to the Latino culture.
5: Wow! Don't don't well me. Come on now. Come on now. I'm okay with getting rid of Pepe Le Pew.
4: Why? Pepe Le Pew is one of the better Looney Tunes. So no, he wasn't. We're okay, also getting in
2: rid po- of Dr. Seuss.
4: Yes, but yet we're. And they're putting disclaimers on the Muppet movies on Disney Plus, if you've seen that. Yeah, what's going on with that? I don't really know because uh, I haven't checked the, the Muppet movies out yet, but I don't understand how that has to have a disclaimer on it right now because it's the Muppets. I mean, Are we offended by Muppets? Apparently. Hey, the Muppets get pretty uh, pretty
2: risque sometimes. Kermit's an animal. Peggy comes in. It's like,
4: whoo. Sometimes Fo- things Fo- get a little wild. Fo- Fozzie Bear usually uh, <laughs> he usually takes things a little bit too far. Me personally, my favorite Muppet has always been Animal, and uh, he has been an animal. So sooner or later, that he's going to get canceled. But I'm sorry, but Pepe Le Pew should not be canceled. With he Alex scored Ferrario. one of the most. He scored one of the most important baskets in Space Jam. BK. Somebody just
2: sent us something. So there is a Wisconsin state park that is named. After Major Dick Bong. Get out of here. I didn't realize that we already had something honoring the late great Major Dick Bong. Okay, well, we need to go check this place out. We need to go. We need to take yeah. a ride, a stroll through Dick Bong Park. <laughs> I think we need to go up there up in Wisconsin. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN Hindsight's 2020. We all know that. But some of us were first guessing this. I was not included on that list. Do the Cardinals have enough to be able to fill out this rotation? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario
1: podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
0: Their their rotation worries me and they had a chance to go out and sign Jake Gotarizzi, uh who I really think is exactly what they need, innings pitched, um you know, 165 a year for the six years leading up to last year, 30 starts a year. When you don't know what you're getting from Michaelis, when you're not sure what you're getting from Kim, when Adam Wainwright, uh, who was phenomenal in recent years, but is old, uh, when, when you have Flaherty, who may be innings limited this season, Carlos Martinez is a giant wild card, Alex Reyes is a reliever, Ponce de Leon's never done it for a season. You got guys. But how many do you have
7: that you can rely on?
2: It's a fair question. That was Jeff Passan earlier today with Carricker and Smallman. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Do the Cardinals have enough to be able to fill out this rotation? It's the question we've been talking about basically since the start of spring training, given Miles Michaelis and the questions that we've had about his shoulder all spring. And now it's becoming a reality. Because Miles Michaelis, it was announced yesterday, he's going to go in to get some imaging on his shoulder. He once again is having his bullpen session pushed back. We don't know if or when he's going to be able to return. And so now it puts a lot of pressure. you got to have a good season out of Carlos Martinez. You need to have somebody step up in that fifth rotation spot, whether it be Woodford or Gantt or Ponce. I'm not sure the order of those three guys, but one of them needs to step up, especially early in the year. This is all hindsight. It is 2020, but let's look back for a minute. Did the Cardinals make a mistake this offseason, and especially in spring training, by not bringing in somebody from the outside that could provide them with those innings to be able to make something like this a little bit
4: more manageable in your opinion, Alex? I don't think so. I really don't. And again, hindsight is 2020, but they went into this spring training full expectations that Miles Michaelis was going to be ready. And in the rotation and providing them exactly what they expected him to provide them with. And now they've hit a roadblock with that, but it's always been Carlos Martinez is going to get the shot. Ponce de Leon is going to get the shot. John Gant is going to get the shot. You have Matthew Libator, Zach Thompson, all of these guys have, have had that opportunity. I understand Jake Odorizzi is sitting there, and what did he sign for, BK? Like $5 million with incentives with the Houston Astros? So it's kind of
2: a weird thing because his contract is so much incentive-laden, and it's it sounds like it's likely to be earned, like he's probably going to get there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think basically when you sum it up, it's basically a two-year $30 million contract with a player option for year three.
4: I just think that's, that's, that's too rich for the Cardinals' blood when they needed to find out what they had with these pitchers. And again, it doesn't make sense now because now you would love to have Jake Odorizzi but I view the pitching situation like I viewed the outfield situation. There's no point in going out there and getting somebody who is going to take playing time away from all of these younger players. And I think the same can be said for now with Miles Michaelis's injury. You have Carlos Martinez. You have Ponce de Leon. You have some of these younger pitchers. So you got to see what you have in these guys before you can sit there and say, okay, now we need that veteran pitcher. So – Let's do this for a second. I'm looking at the,
2: car, the free agent pitchers that were available this offseason. Let's go through them very quickly, one by one. Talk about who would have been the guy that, if they were in the rotation right now, instead of Ponce, Gantt, or Woodford, one of those three guys at the back end, that would have answered your questions. That would have been like, okay, okay, no doubt about it. I feel really good about the rotation now. You ready to go through these? Let's do it. All right. James Paxton, would you have been, if he was the guy that they signed, would you have been A-okay with the Cardinals rotation right now? No. No. I would have still been concerned Garrett Richards would he have been okay because he signed for a one year 10 million dollar deal with the uh, Boston Red Sox nope
4: still concerned
2: no still concerned Drew Smiley would you have been a-okay <laughs> with him he signed a one-year 11 million dollar with the Braves
4: would have been concerned and would have thought the Cardinals were ridiculous throwing 11 million dollars at that I would agree with that Corey Kluber one year 11 million dollars he signed with the Yankees I would have felt better, but I think I still would have been concerned because he's still a question mark. So, yes, I would say I'm still concerned.
5: I'd say still concerned Kluber kind of have the same issues as Michaelis coming off an injury season. And Wainwright, too. You just don't know. Corey
2: Kluber has started eight games since the end of the 2018 season. I would have a ton of concerns about that. Charlie Morton, he's 37 years old. He signed a one-year, $15 million deal with the Braves. Would that have solved your concerns?
4: I'm iffy on Charlie Morton because I think he could have been reliable. But again, it's the concerns of Adam Wainwright. You're 37 years old. What are you going to get? It's kind of like Cole Hamels I mentioned in the opening segment. You're 37, so you could be good, but you've also shown signs that you're relying. So But if he was in my rotation and all this news with Michaelis, I'd still be concerned.
5: I think I would have done one year $15 million. For Looking Charlie back Moore now, we're knowing Looking what back we now, know now, yes. and
2: we didn't know it then, and that's the hard part about this. Charlie Morton signed early in the offseason, and at mm-hmm. that point, they thought Michaelis was going to be okay. That was the expectation. But now, with the benefit of hindsight, he may have been a guy, I, I think I'm with you, Tanner, he
5: would have been one that I would have felt pretty good about. See, I think I would have done it even if I hadn't known about Michaelis. Because, I, you know me, Mr. Negative, and all these questions marks Carlos. with... Uh, well, no, not just with Carlos, I said with Michaelis, too, are we... Uh, are we sure what we're going to get from him because he is coming off an injury? You sure. don't know. And it turns out he's actually injured again. So well, me signing take- another veteran would have made sense. You're so taking here's-
4: that at risk, though, with 37-year-old pitchers, I think, any time, though. So I- I'm still going to be concerned with that.
2: Here's another question. Like if you brought in Charlie Morton for $15 million, he's guaranteed to be in the rotation all year long. He's going to be a stalwart for you. And that kind of limits your options going into the postseason. You have less flexibility. So right. there's something to that as well. Mike minor, would you have been willing to give him two years and $18 million in total? I don't no. think he solves your issues personally. No. no, still concerned. Taiwan Walker, three years, $25 million from the Mets. <laughs> no. no, God, no. Trevor Bauer, three years and $102 million
4: from the Dodgers. I'd be all for it. That's a really expensive contract, but I'd be all for it. It would take my concerns away. I would never sign him to that contract. Okay, so basically we're talking about should the
2: Cardinals have signed Jake Rizzi or Charlie Morton? That, like, or Cole for, Hamels. Or, or should they still, because that's still out there for them. Yeah. Um, Basically the mistake, if you want to call it that, that the Cardinals might have made – is not giving 37-year-old Charlie Morton a one-year $15 million deal that may have prevented them from going out and making another move or may have prevented them from bringing back Waino and or Yachty. That may have been the mistake. Or not signing Jake Odorizzi when they got to camp. To a two-year deal, by the way, that may have been the mistake.
4: And Jake Odorizzi I can get on board with, but you cannot convince me that Charlie Morton was a mistake of not giving him one-year $15 million with this team. Like, it... That wouldn't have made that much of a difference, in my opinion. Jake Odorizzi, yeah, now it's a little bit stressful. But before the Michaelis news, I wasn't concerned about Jake Odorizzi. So again, it's hindsight, but I'm still not concerned, even if you miss on Jake Odorizzi, because you have. We have been told that pitching is the best aspect of this Cardinals team, and the depth, and the evaluation, and the prospect of these players. I don't need Jake Odorizzi. Now I do, but I've been told these guys are good, so let's see what they got.
5: I agree we've been told that, but it almost feels like now we've kind of been told that based on bullpen arms, not on starters. Because all these guys we're talking about (laughs) that are starters is Libertor and Thompson, but they're not ready yet. And we talk about Ponce. Late season. Late season, yes. And we talk about Ponce and we talk about Gantt, but I think the Cardinals would feel more comfortable with them in the bullpen rather than as a starter. So I think... they're saying the right thing. They're saying, yeah, we've got all the arms that we need. Yeah, we're built fine. I think they feel more that way about their bullpen pieces than they do about their starting rotation. I think they feel really good
2: about their future in the rotation. I agree with that. I think they have some questions internally right now, given the Michaelis news, about what this is going to look like early in the season. And this is where, like, the reason that I brought all those names up and why I talked about, hey, what did the the Cardinals miss in the offseason? Is because of this. I think the Cardinals are looking at basically 2 months probably where they've got to figure this thing out. And there there are options that they have internally that they like but don't love. And they need to find out can any of these guys do the job? And if they can, you feel great. You're moving forward and there's no questions, no worries. If they cannot do it, if Woodford fails and Gantt fails and Ponce fails at being a starter and Martinez breaks down, now you need to go make that move. And that's why I think it's really important that there are still guys out there. And if you get to the point internally where all of these options do not work out, there's still veteran options that I view as not a whole lot different from the guys that we just mentioned. All you need is the innings, really. That's what we're talking about here. Can you get to 160 innings from that fifth starter spot? I think they're going to be able to do it. I really do. And you mentioned, Tanner, they could maybe have some better options later in the season. Alex Reyes might be thrown into that mix. Maybe it's Zach Thompson. Maybe you look at some of these other guys. Maybe at that point, Oviedo is looking better. I'm really not worried still about the Cardinals rotation. Does it make me a little more concerned than I would have been if Michaelis was 100% ready to go healthy? Absolutely. Of course it does, because Michaelis was supposed to be really good this season. But I still feel good. I still feel like the Cardinals have earned the benefit of the doubt with their ability to both develop and identify starting pitching talent. It hasn't been an issue for them in almost a decade. So I don't believe that it is going to be an issue for them going into this season. And if it becomes one, I'm confident they'll identify somebody that can be able to fix that internally or externally at some point.
4: Real quick, it's a lot easier to add depth to your pitching if you feel like it is a need rather than try and subtract somebody who is logging and costing you money. Look at Mike Leak, what happened there. Now, I know they moved him and they got something back for it, but still. But they were still paying him up to, I think, last year. Yeah, it still took some time. Look at Brett Cecil. And I know it's a pitch, it's a bullpen guy rather than a starter, but it's a lot easier to go out there and get somebody when you know you're depleted than sit there and say, man, this guy is nothing for us and he is taking up money. Now what do we do?
2: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Somebody makes a really good point as well from the 636. Guys, you can't give 37-year-old Charlie Morton $15 million and then go to Wayneo and say, all we've got left for you is 8 It's another good point. If yep. you gave Charlie Morton $15 million, Wayno said publicly, I had better offer offers to go out and pitch elsewhere. I wonder if at that point you've got to get Wayno up to 15 as well. So then now you've added $22 million to the payroll. And I don't think the Cardinals were going to be willing to extend that far. I don't think that they were in a position to be able to do that. So I'm I'm still okay with where they are with their rotation, even though it is. Yes, absolutely. I'm not being Pollyanna about this. It's more concerning today than it was. Three weeks ago. I'm with you there. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of more likely to happen. You give us a couple scenarios, we'll tell you which one's more likely to happen. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK
1: and Ferrario.
2: is the air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen. You send us a couple of hypothetical scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. Let's start with one from MLB Network. They had their trip to Cardinals camp earlier this week, Alex. They asked, what is the most likely to happen? So they get four scenarios here. Aronado wins his first MVP. Wayno gets to 2,000 strikeouts in his career. Carlson hits at least 30 home runs. Or Jack Flaherty wins the NL Cy Young. Arenado MVP, Carlson 30-plus homers, Flaherty Cy Young, or Waino reaches 2,000 career strikeouts.
4: So career strikeouts for Adam Wainwright right now. I wanted to make sure I got this one right. He's sitting at... 1830, so
2: he needs 170 this season to be able to get that. The last time he hit 170 strikeouts in an individual year, though, was 2014 when he threw 230 innings.
4: Yeah, I don't see that happening. Um, Jack Flaherty I can get on board with, but there are way too many other guys that I think can win Cy Young this year. I don't really know what the rookie class looks like in Major League Baseball. I think the one for me that would be more likely is Arenado as the MVP because I as much as I don't want to say that he's a clear-cut favorite to win it, because there are a lot of MVP potentials. Fernando Tatis Jr. being one of those, I just I think between he and Dylan Carlson, Nolan Arenado has an easier road than what Carlson will have in terms of that rookie class. So I'll go, I'll go Nolan.
5: I think I'm going to say Carlson, rookie of the year. Carlson, 30
2: home runs, by the way. That was the. Or 30, oh, sorry. I thought it was rookie of the year. No, okay. 30, 30, home 30
4: plus homers
2: for Carlson was the hypothetical. Okay. That's a lot of home runs. runs. That is yeah. a lot,
5: but I will take that. I don't think Wainwright gets to hit that strikeout number. I don't think Flaherty. It's a lot of strikeouts. Yeah, I don't think Flaherty gets there. And I think there's so many guys that Alex just mentioned for MVP that I think may get consideration over. So I'll say Carlson 30 home runs. I know it's a big number. <laughs> I'm going with Arenado with you, Alex. I I yep. know he's never won it before, but he's going
2: to have the storyline. That's going to be something that is is in his direction. The other thing is he's just—I mean—he's such a tremendous player. He's finished eighth, fifth, fourth, third, sixth in the MVP. So as much as like he's never won it, but he's been in the top eight every year of the last basically outside of the shortened 2020 season. Every other year over the last five years, he's been a top eight MVP candidate. So he's right there. Um, I would go with him. 30 home runs is a ton. Yeah. From Dylan Carlson. I mean, I can't even imagine. When was the last time the Cardinals had a rookie who hit 30 home runs in a season? Probably Albert. Yeah, I I don't. I don't think that that's going to happen from him. I I like him a lot, but that's that's a big, big, big number.
5: And, and that number two does depend. I think where he hits because if he's behind Goldie and Arnado, then that's probably really unlikely. If he's yeah. in front of them, I could see it possibly. But even then, it's still a stretch. And I think he's going to start the year behind him.
2: Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line for more likely to happen. More likely to happen, boys. Wayno leads the Cardinals in wins this season or Carlos Martinez makes 30 starts this season. wayno bueno leads the team in wins, or Martinez makes 30 starts. Easy. Uh, we already
5: know. For I hard. don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was saying, I don't know if it's easy. Easy, easy. wayno bueno leads the team in wins.
4: Oh, get the hell out of here, T-Bone. Easy, easy. Carlos, who else is going to be starting for you? Anybody but Carlos. No, he's going to be. He's going to be starting like 35 for you now because you have nobody else.
5: No, I've got Gant.
4: Oh, jeez. Carlos, for me, that's more likely to happen. Wayne will be close, but, man, you got nobody else to start games for you. Carlos Martinez, guess what, buddy? You get to head into free agency as a number three starter in this rotation.
5: We heard what our guy, Eno, said earlier. Velo's down. Just put him in the bullpen.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm going wayne as well, actually. Yes. 30 starts is a lot. I, I think that e- for Believe any me, starter this year, like I think that's just a lot of starts. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Wayno leads the team in wins. It really wouldn't. I, I think Flarity's going to have a fantastic season, but we know how this works with wins. Like it, it can be fluky sometimes. So I'm going to go with Wayno leading the team in wins. I think that's much more likely. By the way, I looked this up. The last Cardinals rookie to have at least 30 home runs in a season is the only Cardinals rookie to have at least 30 home runs in a season. And it, it was Pujols? Albert Pujols back in 2001. He hit 37 that year. So, yeah. yeah I, so, that ain't happening. It just seems really unlikely to me. <laughs> All right. More likely to happen. Tyler O'Neal hits at least 30 homers this year. Back to that number. Or Carlos Martinez gets at least 10 wins this season. Carlos gets 10 wins. Tyler O'Neill hits 30 homers.
4: I'm going to go Carlos here. Just because I'm playing the odds that Tyler O'Neill isn't going to see as many at-bats as we think if Lane Thomas continues trending in the direction. Tyler O'Neill is going to play, but Tyler O'Neal is going to be splitting playing time with a lot of different guys. Carlos Martinez is basically going to be in your rotation. Um, and, I mean, we all know that, that wins are kind of a fickle stat, so I could see him falling into 10 victories. So I'll pick Carlos more, like, more likely on this one.
5: Yeah, I'm gonna say Carlos too. Yeah, uh, uh, I sound
4: like a Carlos Martinez like promoter right now, and I don't like it.
5: Uh, I, it's probably more likely for him to get ten wins. I agree with you, Alex. I think O'Neill, as much as I'd like to see him be the everyday left fielder, he's probably gonna split playing time. I don't think he gets to thirty mm-hmm. home runs. I, there's, like you mentioned, BK, wins can come out of anywhere. Carlos, especially early, I think is gonna be an innings guy. So. He's going to get the five covered easy. So I'll say him getting sweep
2: the it. We're all on the same page. I think it's Carlos yep. as well. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. I like this one more likely to happen. Mizzou finishes as an eight or nine seed in the NCAA tournament and knocks off the one seed in the second round or the Dodgers lose the NL West division this year. So somebody oh, not named the Dodgers wins the NL West or Mizzou knocks off a one seed
4: in the second round of the NCAA tournament. This is easy. Dodgers lose the NL West. If you think Mizzou's going to knock off a number one seed, come on, get out of here. I don't even know if they're going to make an eight or nine seed BK. I think that's probably the most likely spot for him right now. Really? Mm-hmm. Man, a part of me wonders if they even make the tournament. They're
2: guaranteed to get in because of their resume. Now that doesn't mean they're one of the, like, I think that, you can make a case Slew is a better basketball team than Mizzou this year. You can make that case in terms of the quality of the team. Resume is what matters, though, and Mizzou has a better resume than Slew wow. because of their quote-unquote quad one wins.
4: Well, they ain't, uh, they ain't knocking off a one seed, so I'm picking the Dodgers losing the NL West because the Padres are an easy target to, to beat them in the NL West division.
5: I'm with you, Alex. I think I would take the Dodgers to lose the NL West, but I think it's really close because I think Missouri – Okay, never mind. No, it's not.
2: So here are the four one seeds most likely huh. right now. Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and Michigan. And they haven't beaten Illinois yet this year.
4: Nope. Nope, they did. No, it didn't happen.
2: Mizzou would get yeah. its ass kicked against any of those four. Come on. Oh, let's yeah. be honest here. Come okay. on now. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> get it's clear,
2: out of here. I mean, the Padres are legitimately great. Like yep. a great baseball team. And so to suggest that they could win the NL West is not crazy. Mizzou beating one of those four teams that I just mentioned. Yeah, it seems really, really unlikely. Even though I I understand they've, they beat some really good teams this year. They beat Tennessee. They beat Alabama. They beat Illinois Never earlier happened. this year. They're not playing the same way right now that they played earlier in the season. So I can't go down that path. All right, last one. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. More likely to happen, boys. With all of the talent around him, Paul DeYoung's for NL MVP, so he finishes in the top 10 this year, or another third baseman other than Nolan Arenado wins the gold glove.
4: Another third, so meaning another third baseman in the National League wins the gold glove. So Arenado
2: doesn't win the gold glove
4: this year, or Paul DeYoung gets top 10 MVP uh, votes. I, I have to say Paul DeYoung here because I don't know another third baseman who's going to win the gold glove or over Nolan Arenado. And I don't like this because any other option, I'd go with that over Paul DeYoung finishing in the top ten. But I have to say that's more likely because Nolan Arenado will win another gold glove.
5: Yeah, I'm with you. I can't really think I mean the only one that sticks out to me that could beat Arenado for the gold glove would be Machado. But other than that, I'm I'm trying to think if there's anybody I'm forgetting that could I mean Chris Bryant but he could be playing
4: on the outfield he could be for playing the Cubs. left hey, Eugenio Suarez I don't see that yeah, happening at Ma- third Machado is really the only one yeah, I mean just, I, all,
2: uh, most of the other good ones are in the American League yeah I think Arnado is a better third, Gregman, third baseman Ramirez Chapman Donald I, I mean most most of them are in the American League now so I, I think it you've got to go with Paul DeYoung as uh, on this one even though I don't think he's going to finish top 10 in MVP but I'd be stunned, absolutely stunned, if Nolan Aranato, barring injury, doesn't win the Gold Glove this year for third baseman. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are going to talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. Curbs, how you doing today, my man? Brandon, I'm doing good. How are you today? Doing very well. So let's start with the news of the day. We'll get into the blues here in just a minute, but it was announced a little bit earlier officially now that ESPN and the NHL have agreed to a long term contracts together uh, curves, what's this mean for the NHL? How, how significant is this news today?
7: Uh, it's extraordinarily significant. I think it means a lot of great things for the NHL. And the biggest thing I think you have to start with, Brandon, is the fact that for the first time now, the, the NHL they, is going to have a multiple network distribution. And to me, that's that's the big thing. You look at all the other sports and how it's gone um, the NFL has all the different channels that they've got; their games on. You've got the NBA on ESPN. They also air on on ABC. And, and while I know it is the same company, there there are aspects of it. But they've got TNT in there as well, right? Um, and 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 then you, of course, you look at, the, at Major League Baseball, and you know Turner's been involved in that, along with Fox and ESPN. And there's just enough games, and there's enough games on enough days that you can have multi-network deals and uh, the NHL has finally gotten to the point where it looks like they are going to have that. And, and I think that's a spectacular thing for the national hockey
4: league. curbs true or false. When you move on from, uh, from Doc Emmerich as the voice of the national hockey league, who you really can't compare to somebody like that. It's pretty good for hockey to go back and see if Steve Levy's available to go back to being the, the, the national voice for the NHL.
7: Well, and I don't know, is it, I haven't read the release. Is that what they are going to be doing with it? No, they haven't said that.
4: I'm just thinking some of the guys who have been a part of it in the past and Steve Levy was, you know, kind of covering the Stanley cup final for the blues when they were, uh, when that was taking place, Steve Levy and Barry Melrose were kind of here. So uh, the longtime voice for such a long time when it was on ESPN would make some sense.
7: Well, I mean, yeah, they put him in the play-by-play role, uh, you know, for, for the NFL. And he's branching into that mix of things after being such a long time anchor, but they, they've got guys too. I mean, they, they've, they put butcher Gross on some of their, their college hockey stuff. Uh, you got to think that there's probably going to be some jumping of announcers and different guys in different folds. I mean, when ESPN was in the heyday, it was Gary Thorne. And honestly I'll put him up against anybody with the absolute yeah. best, um, you, you know, and, uh, and some of the greatest calls. So I, I think, the games themselves, you know, are, are going to be in some great shape uh, on the, on those networks. I think you're going to see, see different people. I mean, I, I think it'd be great to see Linda Cohn doing some play by play with her passion of the sport uh, as well, and I and I think that would be a really uh, a, a spectacular touch for the National Hockey League. So, um, I mean, there, there's a lot of options here. I think what what excites me the most, and look, ESPN takes its knocks, and and frankly, they they earn the knocks. Okay, they they try to be a hard hitting, you know, kind of network scenario and 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 get involved with all the talk, but the reality of it is is when they have partners and when they are partners, they do those partners well. So I think it'll be great to see NHL tonight coming back online. I'm assuming that that's probably going to be part of this deal. The the coverage and stuff that they'll be able to give on the digital platforms. What this means in terms of the streaming on the, on the Disney Aspect of things, that uh, those are details I, I, I'm not aware of yet and have to get up to speed on. But I, I just think that there's going to be a lot of value for the fact that this is, uh, that, that this is only going to be one entity of it. So whether it's Fox, whether it's NBC, whether it's uh, another outlet, uh, there's going to be another outlet, it looks like. And, and, and that is just a terrific thing. That means more hockey on a national level for people around the country.
2: We're talking to the voice of the blues. Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. All right, Kerbs earlier today, um, I proposed a, a potential lineup change, if you will, uh, to Alex Ferrari. I'd love to get your thoughts on it as well. So this is completely dependent upon Oscar Sundquist being back in the lineup over the weekend. Uh, Kerbs. I know we talked a lot about Jordan Cairo and what we've seen from him of late. Would you be interested in dropping down Jordan Cairo to that third line with Sonny? and having Sanford go back up to that top line with Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko, so that way you can have a little bit more of a scoring punch on that third line with uh, Jordan Kyrou, pairing up with Sonny there on that third line.
7: No, honestly, Brandon, if there's one guy that I'm going to mess with the least, it's going to be Kyrou. I think his inexperience um, lenches for probably some higher ups and downs uh than than say Zach Sanford, who has played uh, consistently in all three roles, and I mean when I say i don 't think his play has been overly consistent, I think it has been better play what I mean is he has he has played throughout the years on all three roles and and knows what each one of those is like The, the other thing too is that the, the one thing that I think has made Cairo effective as he 's been on the top two lines that he 's played is the speed it 's something that those two lines just don 't have, especially with Jaden Schwartz out of it. You've got okay speed, but you don't have Cairo speed with Tarasenko and O'Reilly and the same thing with Shen and Perron. So that in the top six, I think, is is really valuable. I, I think what ends up happening here, honestly, is if if Oscar Sundquist is available to come back in and, and there's no other injuries, I, I think you insert Oscar Sundquist at center on that third line and you put Sanford on the wing and you put, you know, Sammy Blay on the other wing. Uh, I have actually liked Dakota Joshua really well in what we've seen there at center on that fourth line. So to me, that would probably leave McKenzie McEachern out, you know, but then again, you do have his speed and that could be valuable against it. So, you know, maybe they have the option to, to uh, you know, to, to, to drop even Sanford down another line to, to the fourth line, whatever it may be. I, I'm, I'm thinking right now, you're if, if healthy, you're leaving those top two lines alone.
4: Curbs another guy that I have really enjoyed watching uh, has been Nico Mikla, and this has been a presence that we've seen a lot. You know, he was in and out of the lineup because of the health of the, the defenseman, and now he's kind of a mainstay because of the uncertainty of Colton Pareko. But this guy, more and more, in my opinion, Curbs is looking like a guy who can play top four minutes for the Blues down the road.
7: Well, he's getting there. I mean, he's he's, he's going to keep he's he's going to keep going, and um, you know, the one thing. I don't know that you can really look with the injury to Pareco and, and the challenges. I, I think the defense has been pretty doggone solid here. So, um, you know, I, I, I really, I, I, like the development of each of the guys. I like how each guy has been, uh, uh, has been utilized. I like how the different, the minutes have been distributed uh, for the most part. And, and I know Justin Falk is still getting the, the most of them, but I, you know, all in all defensively, the St. Louis blues, I think have been solid and, and, and they're getting a little more consistent on top of it. We're talking to
2: Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN Kerbs, Now that they do have a few days off here between games, which is something that we, it's a rarity this season. What do you think are the biggest things that they need to be focusing on or the things that you would expect that they would be focusing on as they get back to practice here over the next couple of days?
7: Well, I think one of the things that uh, they're going to work on is that they're going to work on how to defend some of the systems and what they have seen from uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. This is going to be a different level of hockey than we've seen, essentially, I think, in the last three weeks, to be honest with you. Um, going, Going back to the seven straight games against the Arizona Coyotes and then all the games against the California teams, those are teams that are in the bottom half of the standings. Those are teams that are there because they don't have as much talent. They're not as deep. And those are teams that are there because they haven't put that consistent play there. You go against the top team in your division and those guys play again tonight against Minnesota, but you go against the top team, they're structured, they're deep, they're heavy, they will hit. And I would think this comes to battle level and structure for the St. Louis blues, the blues still missing some depth. They're going to have to be, I think, very smart with the puck and very careful and calculated with it and just be patient and, and, and let that game come to them a little bit. Uh, rather than so much push that, I think, that overall pace here, because you can get burned pretty good in transition with Vegas. So to me, I think it's a real sharpening of the focus. Now they're off today, so they're practicing tomorrow. The taxi squad was out there today. Um, They're going to have the one day to make those adjustments. But guys, I'm going to tell you what, I I think it's going to feel a little bit like a culture shock even for the fans to watch this game after watching what we've had to watch the last few weeks. Curbs,
4: final question for you. Jesse Granger has been reporting that it looks like Alex Petrangelo is not going to be on this trip for Vegas. How tough of a blow is that for Petro to where he's not going to get that homecoming in St. Louis that he was probably hoping for?
7: Uh, it'll come. It- it'll come. I mean, it- it- I-, I don't know. Honestly, I-, I actually wonder if part of him has a little bit of relief and, okay, you don't have to deal with it right now, but uh, you know, there's, there's going to be another opportunity and, and that opportunity will come and, you know, honestly, I, as much as I think it'll be a great moment when it happens, I'm off for all these top teams coming in without a full complement of players until the blues get healthier. So, um, I'll put the, uh, I'll put the fan aspect and the, uh, and, and, and the personal aspect aside there and say, man, th- th- this is good. We don't have to deal with Alex Petrangelo for those two games if that's the case. So, but I- I'm sure there also is some level of disappointment for that. You'd like to get it out of the way, but. And Alex, even if it for whatever reason, if it didn't happen this year, I'd almost prefer that and wonder if it's better just because, you know, just because next year you get a chance of doing it in front of more of a a full house than than what you're going to have this year. And, And frankly, I'd be okay with that.
2: Well, Curbs, we're looking forward to the call Friday night. I'm looking forward to Alex Ferrario being back in the saddle with you guys. <laughs> That'll be a pregame coverage Friday night at 6 o'clock. Puck drop with Joey and Curbs Friday at 7. Always appreciate the time, my friend. Enjoy your few days off here, and we'll talk with you again soon.
7: All right. You guys have a terrific week. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Chris Kerber,
2: the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. We're going to cross things over with the fast Lane coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario
1: Podcast. Now here's
2: BK and Ferrario. k and ferrario on 101 espn hey check out the app because we're doing some really cool stuff right now 101 espn app it is available on the 101 espn app and what you can do over there right now we've got a bunch of awesome the app is on the app (laughs) listen i'm trying to find my reader wait (laughs) what i know i know i screwed it up take two no i I mean actually
6: what you said was bang on it's just you said it twice. Yeah, I know.
2: I apologize. <laughs> let's let's try this one more time. So there we go. 101 ESPN app. Uh, we're competing with our sister stations. And 105.7 the point. You know that they've been amazing at this. We gotta do better. Our listeners are better, so we've got to do better. It's something called App Madness throughout the month of March. And we want to be able to sign up as many of you guys for the apps. So you can get these awesome prizes $500 cash, a Traeger grill, replica R. jersey. There's so much more over there. Just check it all out on the 101 ESPN mobile app. Get it, use it. Make sure that you register. So download and register so that way you can get these prizes over on the 101 ESPN app. That's also where you'll find the podcast from today's show presented by I Promise. All right, cross the things over. That voice that you heard a minute ago was just jamie river voice of an angel jamie what's going on man how are we doing guys i'm doing well so i've got a blues question for <laughs> you, you sure that was, Didn't sound like it. Right? that was a long pause right a long pause i'm doing well it's okay. um i've got a question for you because i was listening to chris kerber earlier today it was over on uh the rizzuto show this morning uh-huh. and they were talking about the expansion draft and we've talked about this a little bit between uh me and alex as well and we talked yesterday about how difficult this is going to be for the blues so can you clear up The Jaden Schwartz situation for me. So the Blues have to protect him, right? No matter what, because he is a free agent this upcoming year and the draft comes before free agency. Is that how that works?
6: Yeah, they don't have to. But if they'd like to retain his rights and continue to negotiate with him until uh, the July 1st free agency deadline, then yes, they'd have to protect him. They would have to. I don't want to use the word waste. How about use? They would have to use a protected spot to hang on to J- uh, to Jaden Schwartz just because he's unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. And this is why they do it, right? So it's not an easy out so that you can just say, hey, by the sure. way, let's hold off on signing. We'll go through this and we'll protect somebody else. Then we'll sign you after and we'll screw the system, right?
2: But do you think that's still going to happen for teams where they'll have kind of a handshake agreement with agents of, hey, we're gonna we're not gonna protect you here, but we've got this number, right? We've agreed on this number, and then once he hits a free agency, he's gonna come back, right? You think there will be some of that? No, but there corre- will
6: be, but sorry, Alex, but the team no, like Seattle, they're just gonna say if they like a player, so let's say let's just use Jaden Schwartz because right. we're in fantasy land. Let's just sure. do that, right? Seattle could call Jaden Schwartz's agent and just be like, uh, so the blues left him unprotected. We're gonna pick him. What's your number? And now, so it doesn't matter what your handshake deal is with the Blues.
2: Because now you have another team that's bidding against you.
6: And you've got a team that's going to take him. So now you don't even have the opportunity to fulfill your end of the handshake deal. So, yeah, you're going to have to protect those guys. That's and risky. that's where I
4: was... That's where I was going to go with it because, yeah, I mean, Jaden Schwartz, you can basically sell, select him if you're Seattle. I'm trying to remember if Vegas did that with somebody. I don't remember if it was Marcia So. There was a player that they selected that was an unrestricted free agent, and then they locked him up for five or six years. Once Maybe it was William Carlson that they did it with. But they selected somebody, and then they locked him up for five years after that selection.
6: Yeah, I would have to go look. And it wasn't Carlson, because he still had a year left on his deal. And his deal was really low. It was really team-friendly. And then he went out and scored, like, what, 40 goals or something stupid like that. And so then he got uh, the long-term deal from from Vegas. I know Marc-Andre Fleury, I think he had a year left on his deal as well. So I'd have to go look. But, look, there's going to be a whole bunch of things that happen here. There's going to be you know, handshake deals and nudge, nudge, wink, wink, take this player, not this player. I'll give you this draft pick. Everybody, here's the thing. Seattle will have learned from Vegas on how to manipulate all of this and do well with it because Vegas is a contender, well, every year since they've been in the league, which is crazy. But also the other side of it is the Blues and every other team in the league will have known, okay, this is what they're going to try and do. We need to learn from our mistakes last time and – try not to make this team a contender right away and lose big pieces of our team.
2: The blues yeah. have eight guys that they're going to want to protect forwards and they can only protect seven. That that's the situation. Well, there, They right? can
6: cause... protect eight. You can protect yeah. uh seven and three and a goalie, or you can protect 11 skaters and you can pick any one of them that you want.
4: But one of those but 11 they... skaters has to be a goaltender. Yes. Correct. Correct. So it's basically 10, ten skaters and a goaltender. Yeah. So if you protect eight, you're only getting to protect two defensemen. Yeah. Correct. And is, so basically, the Blues are protecting seven forwards. Well,
6: I'm just saying, BK, I'm He's trying right, to help though.
4: you. So then when if, you're if at the you bar sell-
2: later, like you always are, and you're talking to okay. all your buddies, you it's know? True. It's true. It's hard, because I'm doing <laughs> these like mock protection lists, because you know I'm a nerd, and I'm trying to figure out what the hell Armstrong's going to do. Ding! And they have eight guys. They have eight forwards that they want to protect. And I can only get seven of them. And I want Sunquist back next year. And I, I want them to be able to continue negotiating with Schwartz and all of these different things. It's impossible. Armstrong's got a tough job. Jamie, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the fast lane. That's coming up from two to six. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN.
1: Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I promise.